welcome, my friends, to Freaky Fridays. This is your host, Jesse Drachman. Bid you welcome. Ah, children of the night, what music they sing. <laughs> Oh boy, that was a bit of a rough uh, Bella Lugosi intro of sorts. Anywho, welcome to Freaky Flicks, everyone. This is Jesse Drackman, your co-host. Joining me, Jake Reedy, of course, as well. Bringing you another action-packed, freaky episode of deliciously devilish goodness. Proudly brought to you by my very own Freak Productions. Um, If you'd be so kind, go to www.freekproductions.com. There you can purchase one of my creative vessels of literary uh, awesomeness, or you can just leave a donation. It's cool. It helps keep the wheels spinning and this show grinning, right? So, um, yeah, without further ado, I'm going to leave this intro short and sweet. It's good to be back in the saddle. It's good to be back, period. And hope you enjoy this episode as much as we love bringing it to you. So uh, thank you, everyone, for your support. You're freaking awesome. Stay freaky. Enjoy this episode. Freaky Friday. Is that the the, uh, King Freak has had COVID alert? Yeah, 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 that's it. <laughs> you sound like you're just getting comfy. Yeah, I kind of am. So how, how are you doing, dude? What's going uh, on? Well, I'm comfy. How about you're, you? You're, are you're are you fucking, comfy? You fucking plague rat, you. Yeah, oh, dude, this is, look, this is what happens when you talk about Morrissey too much. <laughs> what, you think he jinxed you? Uh, I don't know, dude. I think I think um, somewhere, someone in the cult of Morrissey... Heard the last two or three episodes that we divulged information about Morrissey and the truth, and um, I think you know one of they sent one of their assassins out to uh, put a hit on me. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know, man. I, I just I picture Morrissey employed assassins. It's like, what are they going to do? Cry on you? Well, I think that's what happened. I think one of them. I vaguely recall someone crying, and they sprayed their tears on me. Oh, like a biological weapon. Yeah, it was a it was a biological attack. So I was attacked. So by did you get like an, an, an extra strain of COVID where you just like felt really really sad and you know yeah and, and just like a big fucking yeah yeah polyester shirt wearing nonce. Yeah, I found myself just you know just wrapping myself in shirts and, and not that yeah not that I can talk because I was actually um. I uh, went for a walk and met a friend for coffee the other day and I was just like chilling out at the beach when it was all like rainy and gloomy and shit. And I was kind of digging it. So, um, yeah, I, I I might have caught a bit of the Morrissey as well. I can't help it. I don't know, man. There's just something kind of groovy about like a rainy beach. It's like the complete opposite of what the beach should be. Yeah, look, um, I, I'm I'm going to dispel this whole Morrissey and the beach thing like that can go fuck right off right now fuck you Morrissey shut the fuck up just die period um <laughs> not at you Jake I'm just saying um the beach... tell us how you really feel yeah okay look look I, I've been meaning to tell you for some time no no look the beach thing I think like when I th- when I walk on the beach and stuff I think of Jane's addiction 
I just hear summertime rolls in my head, dude. I hear chances. I hear classic girl. I hear fucking far superior anthems to. I can't even think of a fucking Morrissey song to save my life. Well, you can't really compare Morrissey and Jane's Addiction because one's a really, really great band and the other one's Morrissey. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like a filet mignon and a just a fucking seething. Cheese whiz. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That just came off the top of my head, dude. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Other than that, King Freak is good. King Freak is great. Um, It's good to be back to normal of sorts after um, what has been the kind of week that I would not wish upon anyone except for Morrissey. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Period. I mean, it's it's kind of like a dude. It was like a roller coaster ride from hell. Yeah. Of the physical types, like I mean. I did the the test and the test um, gave me those wonderful two lines that you don't want to see. And I feel like it was like a a mental trigger from there, but something triggered after that point. Yeah. And from then on, it was just all downhill. My my body just started heating up like Johnny Storm fucking on fire. Like, yeah, I just felt like I was on fire. My neck was burning fucking... Yeah, I had delirium and the sweats and, yeah, it was crazy. And then um, 48 hours of the worst fucking throat pain I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Yeah, like, I was seriously, uh, I, I want to rip my throat open, man. I thought, I felt like I had freaking razor blades in my throat. Yeah, that's fucked. Yeah, like, I'd wake up in the middle of the night just, like, just struggling to swallow, just going, this is bullshit. And I, I, you know, I, I did the right thing and just drank like more than my body weight in water. So, yeah. cause I, I went with the theory of, I don't normally do this shit, but I went on the website and just looked at, you know, best ways for home remedies to treat this shit. And I knew it was all bed rest and drink lots of water. And naturally it said bed rest and lots of water. So I did that. And, but I just went above and beyond and just drank so much water um that i pissed it out in record time (laughs) yeah it was great it was really cool um everything but being sick but um yeah it it was good to catch up on some rest man i read about fuck i don't know 20 odd graphic novels um nice yeah i mean somewhere in the fog of delirium i was able to read and yeah it was cool so yeah i'm pretty much on the tail end of the the pandemic so to speak so yeah i'm just i don't know it, it's funny how you you kind of you take something as little as uh as weird as it sounds swallowing it's it's funny how you take little things like that for granted um thankfully my breathing was fine i didn't have to go to hospital or anything like that but no, I, that's that's fucking that's a relief man yeah but everything else dude like um yeah i mean fuck to any of the tinfoil hat wearing weirdos out there that think the shit's fake, man, um, I can definitely tell you it's not. It's fucking, it is one morbid mess. Mm. Mm. But other than that, how the hell are you, Jake? Oh, dude, I, um, I'm, I'm going to take, since, you know, we're doing Freaky Friday and it's all that mm. horror, horror mm. and stuff like that, mm. I'm just going to take the opportunity to say that I think anxiety fucking sucks fetid donkey dick and i hate it and i'm fucking over it like you've only just just, 
work this out now? No, dude, I've never. So, like, I have never had really bad anxiety. Like, mm-hmm. I've had, like, you know, the general level anxiety about things every now and then where it's just like, oh, fuck, like, you know. Yeah. I hope I don't swear on Comic-Con stage. But, <laughs> you know, that's that sort of shit. But it's like the last few weeks I've got, I've got all these things – and I don't, I don't want to get all depresso and shit, but you know, this is, this is about horror and this shit is fucking horror. No, cause I mean, <laughs> give, give me, give me a heads up if you are, cause I'll, I'll put some Morrissey on in the background and we can. Yeah. 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 You know, can just hum, hum a couple of bars of girlfriend in a coma or something oh, like dude, that. I, mate, I feel, I feel like, you know, it would fit. Or, we might actually get a lot more from playing Morrissey. I don't know, man. It's just a theory, but yeah, but you know, then they're going to want to hunt us down and kill us. Yeah. True <laughs> that. True that. No, like I've I've got all this shit in my life at the moment that is like completely beyond my control, and I don't do well with that shit. Like I'm mm. I'm a person that like if there's an issue, I want to fix it, and I want to yeah. fix it now, and I want it to be fucking sorted, you know, and it's all good. And I've just got all this shit where it's like all this stuff's out of my control and then there's one thing that's kind of out of my control but still kind of within my grasp and I've got to do all this shit that's completely against my nature to, like, let this thing sort itself out and, you know, hopefully fucking chill and get back to good and all that. And it's fucking giving me so much anxiety. It's like my fucking heart is like jackhammering. I'm getting the anxiety sweats and shit. I'm fucking, you know, I got these fucking bullshit tablets from a doctor that's like, oh, take one of these if you feel anxious. I'm like, yeah, that works for like 10 seconds. And then mm. I just feel fucking anxious again. Awesome. And it sucks. It fucking sucks. Anyone, man, any of our listeners who suffer from anxiety, like permanently, I fucking feel for you guys so much because I've got a little dose of it but I feel like mine's kind of like situational mm. and hopefully eventually it will fucking chill the fuck out. But dude, it is fucking bullshit. I do not like it. It sucks. And I yeah. like, I'm just like really like struggling with the whole, like being alone with my thoughts thing. So it's like, mm. I'm fucking like, you know, Oh yeah. I get to podcast tonight. Sweet. I can distract myself for four hours or, mm. you know, I can, hang out with a girlfriend today and that's fucking okay. Cool. I've got someone there to like fucking. And yeah, look, I got to give a big props to one of my partners who's just been so fucking awesome with like helping me through all this shit and listening to me. And, you know, even though it involves like other stuff that's like, you know, yeah, it's just a whole thing. And she's just been really fucking cool and really awesome. So re you're very rad and I appreciate you. Big props to you, babe. You you have been very, very awesome for the last couple of weeks. Gold um, star. But yeah, dude, anxiety's just fucking horse shit. I don't oh, like dude, it. Like dude, it's 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 up there with listening to Morrissey. It's like there's nothing good about it. No, it's it's not fun. And like, you know, this whole thing where people are like, you know, high functioning anxiety. I'm like, how the fuck do you highly function with this shit? Cause it's um it's I can't, controlled I can't chaos. do it. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean I um, I'm not diagnosed with it, but I think it's safe to say it, with, that we live in an age where everyone has some form of anxiety and that's kind of the new normal. Mm. Um, for me, I find, I guess, I'm not saying that this 
100% cures because I don't think there is a definitive cure for anxiety. I think it's it's part of your culture. Hate it, embrace it, fucking deal with it. But I think if you change certain aspects of your life mm. socially, it can be your routine. Um, I find I, I've read quite a substantial amount of stuff about changing routines and just changing little things that we do. Um, yeah. You know, for most people, one, two of the most, well, yeah, two of the most common ingredients to the anxiety. Um, and this is no, by no means professional theory or whatever. Um, th- this is just yeah. Me. We don't even we don't even play psychiatrists. No, no, I'm not Doctor Jesse by any by any means. Fuck, I only went to school to eat lunch. Damn it, um, Doctor Drackman sounds like a really cool supervillain name, though. I got to say, it, dude, I think there's a certain ring to it that sounds fucking cool, man. And we will explore this. Down yeah, the track. I, I I think you got to roll with that at some point. Yeah, fucking a man. But uh, dude, man, the anxiety thing. I think um, a lot of it has to do with the the fucking social media age that we live in with our our phones and shit. I mean, it's kind of the Pandora's box has been opened and it's kind oh, of a curse, dude, a curse yeah. and, a, and a wonderful thing at the same time. Um, and I'll, I'll just quickly finish this and say, um, it's, it's the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up. Um, I will comfortably say 99.9% of us grab our phone first thing we do in the morning and scroll for fuck knows how long. Right. Yeah. And it's the last thing we do before we go to bed. Yeah. So that would be the first thing I would change in my routine. Yeah. I mean, for for me, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I feel like as much as it fucking blows. Yeah. It is situational. Like it's situational to like two or three different things. And, I know at some point I will be able to, you know, I know, I I know I can definitely sort at least a couple of those things. One of them is like completely in the hands of time and, you know, readiness. So it's Mm -hmm. like one of those things where it's like, okay, I just got to wait. And for me, it's like, I'm trying really hard to change my habits and be patient and, you know, give things space and shit like that. And fuck me. It is so hard. It's like, man, changing it, changing your, going against your instincts and changing your habits because, you know, you need to do that for a Mm. situation to resolve itself in hopefully a positive and good way is really fucking difficult. And it's like, you know, you're sitting there fighting against all your instincts like, I want to do this thing. I want to do this thing. I want to get it fucking sorted. I want to get it sorted now. And then you're just going like, no, if you do that, it's just going to fuck things up further. Like just fucking chill the fuck out. And oh my mm. God, just fucking, just take my fucking brain out of my head for a bit and just <laughs> fucking scrub it or something. And yeah. 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 Cause you're, you're already trying to do things like that. You, you're going for walks on the beach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I started working out again and shit like yeah, that. Yeah. Good on you, man. And, you know, it's, it's been good and, Back on those steroids, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Juice. Yeah. I'm, I'm turning into a full on juice pig, and you know, yeah. Like it's, it's not even. You know, my, you know, my it's dick, never leg my day. Dick's shrinking, which is probably a good thing because you know I could probably stand to lose a few inches here and there. <laughs> oh, that's fucking gold, man. That's fucking gold. But um, no, man, it's it's um yeah, it's it's uh it it's fucked. It's fucked trying to um change shit and um yeah, well, but it's it's one of those things where it's like. 
but it takes time. But got to do it, you know. Yeah. Look, I, you know, one 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 thing that has always inspired me is, um, <clears throat> and I've I think I've mentioned to you this in conversation before on, on over Messenger, but um, having read both of Tyson Fury's books and mm. you know, not not you know, not sponsored or anything like that to say this shit, but man, he's such a champion for mental health. Yeah. I mean, the guy went from a you know he was I don't know. 100 kilos overweight or some shit like that uh blew up like a balloon he fucking became the undisputed fucking heavyweight champion of the world and then gave up his titles and went into a dark hole of depression and anxiety um but anyway what he did in his journey back was he he cataloged it and just went okay this is me i'm fat i'm overweight um this is day one and he just starts by going for a walk Mm. and he was basically, it wasn't a whole look at me thing. It was more, this is me publicly saying I'm, I'm ready to make a change. This is, this is who I am now. And, yeah. and this is not who I will be tomorrow. And he fucking did something about it and did something great. And the great thing about it is he's one of many stories out there of people that have learned to live with this condition and have radically turned their lives around for the better. And whilst, been able to deal with this thing so i think there's definitely hope for you and i think you're on the right path oh man yeah like i said i'm not bitching too hard like it's it's one of those things where it's like uh you know certainty i I don't i don't want to go too far into it because it involves people that may or may not listen and i don't want to shame anyone or like make situations worse but it's one of those things where it's like there was uh, there was some really hardcore shit that went down in February, and that splashed over onto other things. It splashed over onto me. I let it affect other things, which I had big, fucking, huge regrets about. And like I said, I know it's all situational. I know once I get the shit sorted, I'm going to be hunky dory, um, one way or another. Mm-hmm. But it's just like I oh, I feel so much for anyone that lives with this shit daily, like. Mm. Fuck, what a struggle. I fucking salute anyone that can get out of bed, do their shit, and deal with this daily. Because I was talking to B about it, and B's just like, well, I have massive anxiety, and I just, I like, he just functions with it every single day. And I'm just like, how the fuck do you do it? Like, how yeah. do you do well, it? I mean, man? look, everyone has different coping mechanisms, you know? I mean, I, I, one of my favorites that I like listening to. Uh, it's um Michael Rosenbaum's uh, Inside of You podcast, mm. and a lot of his podcast is really just um self therapy for himself. You know, it's mm. it's fucking cool. Like he talks to people about dealing with anxiety and depression, and uh, you know, people from all walks of life. And I don't know it's kind of refreshing to get that perspective. We should someone. we should start a third podcast because we're both moody artist fuckers. So. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Oh, boy. We'd be... Oh, boy. The the misery hour. The misery hour with Dr. Drackman. And Lord Reedy. (laughs) (laughs) That just came to me. Um, Dude, well, fuck, man. Let's let's take the... Yeah, let's let's, Let's, get off the depression. Yeah, let's do that. Misery shit. (laughs) And and get out of the COVID zone and all that fucking fun stuff. Um, there, There you go, folks. If... If, if you didn't think we we're real people, then we are real per- people with real problems. Yeah. Fucking deal with it. 
And shut the fuck up, Morris. Yeah, I mean, look, look, Jesse's got COVID. I'm just fucked up, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. man, yeah, totally, <laughs> dude. So we're fucking onwards and upwards. Um, dude, let's have a quick chat about this fucking phenomenal return to form of the great one, um, Mr. Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. Oh, dude, dude, my god, that concert, uh, dude, fuck. dude, it just fucking wow. I, man, y- you know. It's funny, I was listening to a, another podcast with Michael Rosenbaum and Kristen Kroc, and they're talking about this age of society we live in where they talk about, you know, people fucking just, you know, talk, um, they judge you based on your age and all this sort of shit like that. Fucking don't bother telling Trent Reznor that. Dude, the guy's in his 50s and rocking out like he's fucking 21, dude. Dude, that concert, like, and I'm, I'm, I, I gotta say, I'm not usually big on fan shot concerts like, there was something about the way it was shot that was pro as fuck like mm. i kind of liked the the blurry aspect of it it, yeah. it just didn't seem like a normal fan shot concert but it was fucking yeah. cool yeah dude it, oh, yeah 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 where do you want to start i, I just i oh, fuck i love that band i've loved that band for so fucking long and just yeah, I mean, the funny thing I find about NIN mm-hmm. is that even tracks that I'm not huge on, um, like, you know, if I'm listening to them on an album, like, I, and I'm like, I mean, look, every Nine Inch Nails track is fucking great. Yeah. But there are some that are greater than others and some that you, you know, latch onto and connect to more than others. Yeah. The thing that I find about NIN is that if I'm watching them live, whether I'm at a concert or watching a concert, like a new concert, like on YouTube or on a DVD or a blue or whatever, there's always a couple of tracks that they'll throw in that I haven't been massive on, on the album, but I'll hear them live and I'll just be like, holy fuck, that Mm. is amazing. Like, and for me this time it was, um, this isn't the place that version they did on that concert was just like, I don't know whether it was just the mood I was in at the time or something, but it's just like that one just fucking hooked me. And yeah. the fact that they played the perfect drug was like, Oh my fucking God. Like that was the crazy thing about it. It was, they played songs that I, that I normally play, which I fucking yeah. loved. Like that. Yeah. I- like, opening of somewhat damaged was fucking cool man yeah yeah which is one of my favorite nin songs of all yeah, time yeah yeah um, fuck yeah but yeah i mean i've never heard them do the perfect drug live and it's just like holy fuck i've just forgotten how much i absolutely adore that track like mm. yeah there was there was so much um so much joy to get from this fucking performance um and the funny part is that this concert we're talking about was filmed in Valley, North Carolina, um, just like fucking last week. Yeah. So that's how recent it was. And man, dude, the band are firing and all on all cylinders, and the set list is fucking cool, man. Oh like, yeah, the set list is absolutely killer. Twenty one, oh. twenty one tracks of all killer, no filler, including some fucking David Bowie covers, man. Yeah. Um, their version, like I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I was fucking euphoric when they played. I'm afraid of Americans. Yeah. yeah. Um, fucking, I think that's one of the best collaborations I've ever heard. Yeah. And the fact that he went one step further and did, um, debuted uh, a version of Fashion, which yeah. which is a classic David Bowie track, 
it was, it was fucking awesome, man. He just yeah. brought it to life, dude. So good. Yeah, dude. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you know, Reptile for the Encore was just yeah. like, oh, fucking hell, Trent, you're just murdering me here. Mm-hmm. Can you please come and tour again? Like, yeah. soon? I love these energy on stage. I love um, tracks like March of the Pigs were fucking yeah. great. They just, they still packed the relevant punch um, as superbly as they did fucking 20 odd years ago. That's uh, the thing, man. It's like every single track, like every single fucking track that they w- that was in that set list was just like, it could have been off an album that came out yesterday. And mm-hmm. they just, they still fucking hit really hard and like yeah yeah dude i love his band now um it's great to see robin fink still shredding on the guitar there yeah um atticus ross uh you know they're they're like peas in a pod dude those two just fucking work well together and i don't see that changing anytime no um fucking uh, aleandro i think it is on the bass fucking he, he nails it on the vocals and that, as well as uh, Ilan Rubin on the drum. Fucking beat master, dude. And the, the guy's a multi-instrumentalist. Like, he, um, I believe I saw him shredding on the guitar at the start of the show mm. and then fucking moving on to the kit and just smashing the fuck out of it. it was just fucking cool, dude. Well, it was I mean, a thing great that, like, Everyone shredding away for the start of Day the World Went Away was just oh, like, dude. holy fuck, like... Why am I not here? Like, yeah, exactly, right. I mean, it, the funny thing is, and I've always said this to people: it's like every time I'm, I'm not religious unless I get really, really desperate, mm. um, and then I, I, I'll, you know, beg whoever's listening. But the fucking thing for me with NIN man is like every time I've seen them live, which has been multiple, because they're just one of those bands that I always want to see, um. It's just, it's the closest thing I can describe to, like, a religious experience for me. It's like... It really was. Holy fuck. Like, this is just, like, I have loved this band since I was a fucking kid. Like, I've been a fan of them for, like, Jesus, man. Like... Since Jesus? Since fucking Moses wore short pants. Um, Real. I knew he was wearing something. He was wearing the, short pants under those skirts. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to think. It's like, you know, mm. 1990. So it's like, you know, nearly 30 odd years I've been a fan of these guys. So, so it's safe to say you're, you're a legit fan. You don't just wear the shirt because. It's cool. Sh- yeah, no. I mean, the shirts do look cool, but. Fuck yeah, it, dude. That's, 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 not can, the, uh, that's not the reasoning behind it. I wonder but, if man, you can I, still I just, buy it for 10 bucks at Kmart. Uh, I don't know. I do remember that was so. But how fucking weird was that? Dude, like that was, that was. I don't know if it was stroke of genius or just fucking weird, but I I'm spewing. I never bought one. I got two. Um, just because it was so strange to me to see yeah. like there's a nine inch nails t shirt in Kmart. Like, what planet am I living on? Mm. Like, yeah, it was very fucking surreal to see that. <laughs> Yeah, so sorry, you were saying you you've been a fan since fucking day dot. Since, yeah, yeah, since like yeah. Uh, since pretty hate machine, man. Like you know, yeah, um, yeah. like 
Which was yeah. a great, that was a great episode, by the way, that we fucking talked about that album. That was fucking Yeah, cool. I, re- I really think we should, like, make that a regular fixture where we just drop in an NIN album every now and then and just fucking chat about it. Or well, even, you know, we could go dude, to, like, other stuff. Yeah, Ed, fucking you know. Well, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the fucking, the concert tonight, um, or today, whatever it is, and which is fucking cool. Um, and we, we have threatened to talk about the Wish EP in upcoming episodes. So, yeah, yeah. I'd... If you've, unless you've got a problem, I don't have a fucking problem at all. Yeah, about... do, I, do, I, do I have a problem talking about Nine Inch Nails? Uh, uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> there well, ladies and gentlemen, you can look forward to more episodes where we talk shit about Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> but no, I mean that concert was fucking amazeballs, man. Yeah, Just, dude. like yeah. The the um, audio production was fantastic. Like the sound quality on the recording is really good. It really was because I was like trying to work out. I'm like, is this some asshole with an iPhone? Um, if so, they're doing a pretty good job. And Dude, the audio is really good on it. There was something obscure about the way it was filmed that had me thinking. Dude, this is like something Nine Inch Nails themselves would put on camera like it, it was yeah it feels like weird. the kind of weird sort of arty experiment that trent would very do. abstract like just yeah i'm just gonna fucking shove one asshole out in the middle of the crowd with a camera and just fucking go for it mm. and the lighting looked really cool as well loved mm. it um it was very simplistic stage design but fucking masterfully executed and yeah. um on top of a fucking set list that just Sings pray. Mm, I fucking love yeah. it. Oh, dude, it, it was absolutely fantastic. And I mean, yeah, it's like you know, you get you get all the classics in there, which you know are just going to fucking go off live, like closer, head like a hole, yeah, like yeah, just oh wow, just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was fucking good times, man. Glad we found it. Oh, dude, yeah, I, I just, I, yeah, I, I, I want, like, guys, please come back to Australia, please. Yeah, like, 100%. I, you know what, I, I think in this returning of live concerts to our toilet bowl of a country, um, and I mean that ge- geographically speaking, down here in the bowels of the planet, um, I really think Nine Inch Nails will be one of the bands that return for sure. Mm. Well, I, I think, I think Black Veil Brides are supposed to be coming back soon as well, I think think okay cool i saw something today where they're coming back or talking about mm. coming back around july maybe okay so... cool i mean i i think uh mm. a lot of these internationals are playing it smart and they're doing what um promoters are uh, called tour packages mm. where it's not just one band carrying the weight of the ticket sales on their shoulders it's spread amongst you know, three or four quality acts in the vain hope of, you know, pulling substantial or double the, triple the fucking crowd um, yeah. that you normally would on one band. So, mm. which was, that was the, the, the goal of Under the Southern um, Stars, the recent festival that was, that kicked things off internationally here. Yeah, um, I really wanted to see that because Bush were there. Yeah, same, dude. I, I thought that would have been a great show. Uh, great band river stage but um yeah it was it was just unfortunately one of them events that had just been hampered by the pandemic and renewal constantly and um yeah i mean not saying that it was a disaster but uh it it definitely they pushed it uphill to get it over the finish line that's for yeah sure. 
But um, look, I, I think it it was necessary uh, to open the proceedings and get us back to regular touring bands. So I, I dare say we'll see more of it in the future. So, um, you know, bands like Machine Head will probably come over as part of a tour package with, you know, say Amon Amarth, who they're about to go on tour with. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like, you've, you've got the... Yeah. Um... What do you got? You got uh, the Trinity of Terror thing going on over in the States at the moment with um, Motionless, Motionless and White, and, yeah, Ice yeah. Nine Kills and Black Veil Brides. Yeah. And then you've got the big stadium tour coming up with the crew. Mm. And who else is with that? Death, Death Leopard. Leopard um, Poison? Is it Poison? Poison, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone else. I don't know, man, but I'm, I'm just like, fuck, as much as I'd love to see that, I don't know if I'd want to endure an hour and a half of Vince Neil fucking trying to hit the notes. Yeah, for me, man, it's one of those things where it's like I was really psyched about it and then I sort of stopped to think about it and I was like, I wish I'd seen this 30 years ago. Yeah, well, that's the thing, man. It's like you want to see the artist at their peak or at least yeah. not too far off their peak, um, you know, when they can do the songs justice, whereas now it's kind of like almost – I don't want to say karaoke versions or anything like that. I, I, actually, I don't want to say anything defamatory at all because I fucking love Vince Neil. I've yeah, I fucking had dinner with the guy. I've got his you know, I've got his signature on my sleeve. You know, like a I'm a I'm a fan all the way. But yeah, the reality is is that you know I give him credit for getting up on stage and doing what he loves. And for whatever reason, I won't say, but it's entirely up to him. But you know, it's sad when you read the constant stream of people going, oh, he's fucking, he's shit and this and that. And it's, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's kind of sad. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, dude. It, it, it is. And it's like, uh, I, you know, I don't want to speculate. I don't know, Vince. I, you know, I don't know, you know, all the uh, reasons good, or, or whatever. He's a good like, dude. Yeah, He's a good yeah dude. that's the thing. I, I I love Vince. I love I love the entire crew. Like, to yeah, death. but it's yeah. like he's just not like whether he hasn't kept in practice or you know in shape or whatever. It's just he just can't get there the way he used to, and it's yeah. kind of a little bit sad to see. Like, because it's it like you, you remember like. When I think of Vince, I think of Vince in his absolute prime, and I don't yeah. kind of want to have that not tainted. But it's like I don't want to sort of see him not be able to do what he does so well, you know? Yeah, it's kind of sad. I mean, you, you don't want to you don't want to like blame age for it, even though that is a factor that comes into play with singers as they get older. But yeah, I mean, a you know, your body is your instrument mm. and how you look after it is entirely up to you. And, you know, uh, I, I've spoken to people about this numerous times, man, and you've got to have a degree of discipline about yourself, especially if you're going to do this professionally and expect yeah. to get paid for it. Um, even if you have all the success in the world, which Vince does. Mm. But let's look at that versus Trent Reznor. I mean, Trent's in his 50s. Not that I care how old yeah. he is, but... I mean, he's fighting fit. He looks yeah. great. Um, you know, he's if anything, he's packed on muscle. Uh, he, yeah, he's he's not the skinny heroin no, dude, he's man buff. from uh, downward spiral anymore. I'm just like, no, he's, he's like, buff with 
He's buff with a hot Trent, wife like, and, and <laughs> yeah, like he's fucking he's kicking goals, man. And but the thing is, he I I think he's at a comfortable stage in his vocal career where he knows his limitations. Mm. And one thing, you know, as a vocalist, one thing I listen to is just what what he does during the songs, where he sort of pulls back and where he goes for it. Yeah. And and you know, kudos to his band for you know um, for keeping the vibe alive vocally, uh, and Trent just singing what he needs to sing. You know, yeah. he doesn't try to go for the big screams. Not that he ever did, but you know, like he doesn't go for the angsty fucking nasal snarls that tear, that actually tear your throat up. So yeah, you know, he's very realistic about it. Mm. Well, and I mean, you can also look at like you know. Um you know, on the contrast as well as like, you know, you can look at guys like Steven Tyler, Alice mm-hmm. Cooper, mm-hmm. Ozzy, who can mm-hmm. still really deliver. Yep. Um, I mean, admittedly, I haven't seen Ozzy doing a live performance for probably about 10, 15 years now. So I can't, yeah. it's probably unfair to throw him in there, but I mean, I, I've seen Alice like, you know, live fairly recently and he's still fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, even Steven Tyler from Aerosmith is still mm-hmm. fucking great. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of guys that have obviously, you know, kept in shape vocally and everything else that are still doing it. And I just, I don't know, I kind of feel like, well, you know, like you said, dude, there's a level of discipline and God love the crew. Discipline is not something they're very well known for. <laughs> no. <laughs> Definitely not. It's, it's not a word that you would ever associate <laughs> with Motley Crue. No, no, sadly not. But um, oh man, one one can only wishfully hope that um, they would just appease the fans and one day get John Karabi up there for a spell. Yeah, fuck yeah. I don't think it will ever happen. Not in this lifetime. But dude, fuck, mm. one can dream, man. Yeah. I mean, I got to see the show uh, when he toured a couple of years back, and when he played the fucking self-titled album from start to finish and still in my top five greatest fucking concert experiences ever. Yeah. And the guy can fucking punch the notes, man. Mm. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think uh, in terms of live, uh, greatest freak um, vocally that's aged well, like a fine wine, I'm going to give that award to Glenn Hughes, um, former, former singer of Deep Purple. Fucking and yeah, like he's now the vocalist in the band Dead Daisies. That yeah, he he actually replaced John Karabi, and man, the guy is fucking I don't know somewhere in his seventies, but man, fucking can push notes through the stratosphere. Mm. Uh, speak, speaking of that and seventies, uh, someone that turned seventy five the other day, fucking Iggy man, like Iggy still Fuck fucking off. rocks it. Fuck yeah! Like, ah, uh, like, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I- Iggy Pop, king of rock and roll, dude. I, I have enjoyed so many great classic um, Iggy fucking interviews from the seventies, dude. If anyone has never had the pleasure of sitting down and watching any YouTube clips of Iggy being interviewed in the seventies, fucking do it, man. Yeah, it is some of the most entertaining shit you will ever see. Oh, dude, yeah, like, uh, yeah, fucking, like I said, Iggy Pop, king of rock and roll, man, like, that guy is a fucking machine and still 
putting out great music. Yeah, like, totally, totally. Never I mean, had a bad album. No, I mean, the, the guy knows his voice. He knows what he can do. And he's adapted that into today. Yeah. Like, how many guys can do that? No, yeah. Not yeah. many. Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. Like, I mean, God, like, yeah, just... I, I would be hard-pressed to throw, like, a greatest Iggy album out there, but there's so many, like... He's so many great tracks, man. Like, I mean... Yeah, this is a guy that can go from shit like Beside You, which is one of my all-time favourite songs, mm. and Living on the Edge of the Night, which is also one of my all-time favourite songs, to shit like Go for the Throat, mm. which was like just the most fucking punk metal fusion fucking, yeah, like that whole Dude, fucking, yeah, wow. My <laughs> One of my favourite anthems to this day is the Stooges' um, I Want to Be a Dog. I want to yeah. be a dog. Yeah. I fucking love that song, man. It's yeah, just, man. There's just something rebellious and punk about it that just you listen to it and you honestly just want to throw your fucking body around and just punch Morrissey fans squ- fair smack in the fucking middle of the face. Yeah. And I mean, look, I know I know it's a cliche and everyone knows it from train spotting, but Lust for Life is just one of the fucking dude. best songs ever. Fuck like, yeah. Like, how much fun is that song, dude? It's a blast, man. Like, you can't help but, like, can't. be in a good mood when you hear no. that track. I mean, and the film clip itself is fucking yeah. dope as fuck. I mean, it's Iggy, king of rock and roll in all his glory, just doing the thing and owning it. Yeah. It's fucking cool. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, I just, I fucking, I, I, I just, I adore Iggy Pop. Like, I think he's just fucking brilliant. Dude, like, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing up Iggy Pop, man. I fucking, I adore this. This is cool. Mm. Oh because yeah, I, I man, I, I I will like yeah. Give, give me give me ten minutes to like just flick through a discography, and we can talk about Iggy Pop for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> I somehow believe that for sure. Oh, but, there's um, a lot of love there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's but, a lot of love for the iguana man. No, I fucking dig it, man. Like the funny thing is, I I'm not the most um, acclaimed Iggy Pop fan. I'm a bit of a late bloomer myself, but everything I've heard, I've just fucking enjoyed and. I've just listened to lots of fragment pieces of Iggy, mm. like his solo career, but also I've really paid close attention to the Stooges catalogue um, and not in consecutive order or anything like that. I just listened to just random stuff. Mm. Some of their blues jams, some of their fucking just Iggy, just being Iggy on their live recordings. Oh, dude. Like, dude, the, so the, much fun. Yeah, the Stooges were brilliant. Like, Fun Time is such a great song. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, dude, yeah, talk about as rock and roll as rock and roll gets. I mean, Iggy is he's the guy that's transcended the stage to the fucking TV and film. Mm. Like, he's had a, a great career as an actor voice actor um that i've even seen have you seen that this is going to be a dumb question but you've probably seen that black and white short film um uh coffee and cigarettes cigarettes? yeah yeah yeah. with tom waits Mm. fucking great dude like talk about an artsy fucking um film with done with conviction between two fucking like-minded souls Mm. um I mean, everyone ever... raves about Tom Waits. I'm, I'm not quite on the Tom Waits bandwagon yet. Um, not by choice or anything. It's just I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's fucking cool, man. Did you ever movie. see uh, that vampire movie Suck? 
No, oh, dude, not yet. But you've I need got to. it. You've I got know. To see it. Like, I know. Alice Cooper, fucking uh, Iggy Pop's in it. Iggy Pop plays a record. Iggy yeah. plays a record producer, and he's fucking brilliant. Henry Rollins plays a douchebag radio DJ. It's just, it is such a fun rock and roll movie. Yeah, I mean, we are due for another rock and roll horror movie episode for sure and i think that would be a really cool one to talk about oh yeah dude it's it's an absolute fave i i literally i didn't think i would enjoy it as much as i did it was like a blind buy just because Mm. like alice cooper's in this henry rollins in it iggy's in it like how could this movie possibly be bad yeah yeah i agree it's it's um it's got all the ingredients there for a fucking really 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 cool fucking um movie and uh yeah, it's vampires dude vampires yeah. and rock and roll what a fucking yeah. cool mix yeah dude it's it's fantastic it's it's so good but yeah man no fucking iggy iggy dude he's 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 a god like yeah iggy, iggy versus god trick question <laughs> iggy is god <laughs> yeah no it's fucking cool and we talked about this in the previous episode too man we you know we we came to the conclusion that iggy can much like Keith Richards, cannot be killed by conventional weaponry. No, man, no, no. Nuclear war tomorrow, I swear to God, Iggy and Keith Richards are just going to be walking around the wasteland looking to start a band. They'll, they'll be there in the fucking, they'll be standing there in the crater where the bomb dropped and they'll just yeah. go, is that all you got? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I guarantee it. And they'll be lighting up cigarettes. Yeah, and I- Iggy would probably just snort people's ashes because, like, I mean, look, it's... <laughs> You know, not not that I condone drug use, but like Iggy has taken probably every drug known to man and then some. Um, yeah. You know, and he still looks like fucking Bruce Lee from the mid seventies. Dude, exactly. I mean, what's not love, right? This fucking yeah, Iggy, fucking dig it. It's like yeah, the the man is rock and roll. Like fucking a, dude. Fucking a. Hey, um, speaking about nerdy rock and roll weirdness and freakiness um just veering off topic a little bit i recently read um a very cool comic book series um galacticon by brendan small oh uh he of metalocalypse yeah yeah i found this gem sitting there at the library a while back and i picked it up and went oh brendan small yes please um yeah, because anyone that doesn't like Metalocalypse must be a Morrissey fan, so fuck off. I but, don't um, know how you could not love Metalocalypse. Dude, like this guy, man, <laughs> Brennan is a genius, dude. The fact that he's been able to just bridge comic books and metal together yeah. harmoniously is fucking brilliant, dude. Like, uh, I mean, the great, the great thing I find about Metalocalypse is that like if you're a music nerd yeah there is so much stuff in there like so many easter eggs and references to yeah. like bands like you know like there's guns and roses gags like you know nathan explosions based off pete Steele. like yeah it's so fucking great yeah i mean dude one of my favorite meta metalocalypse moments is the 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 fucking um the coffee episode fucking i pissed myself laughing and i still laugh when i think about it man yeah yeah just so fucking cool like a concert in the middle of we're here to make coffee metal blacker than the blackest black to infinity 
<laughs> fucking love it. Guatemala blood. Die, die, die for a cop. Die, die. <laughs> it's so fucking good, man. <laughs> oh, I fucking love it, man. It's so good. So, so good. Oh, dude. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, but, oh, like, don't... it's cartoon. It's cool. Actually, here's a fun fact for you, just veering off topic slightly. Um, but I don't want to veer off this topic because this is a good one. Um, I listened to an interview of Burton C. Bell recently from uh, the uh, the X-Men podcast with Doc Boyle. Fucking great podcast. But he talks about the inspiration behind his vocal early on in Fear Factory. And it was fucking Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. Oh, that's rad. (laughs) I fucking knew it, man. I fucking knew it. And he went one step further and did the voice. Oh, good. I fucking love it. Dude. That's and, gold. Yeah. So, I mean, dude, man, metal, comics, cartoons, pet. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Back to the show. Uh, yeah. metal, Metalocalypse, man, is fucking dope, man. I fucking dig it. So, here I am staring at this book called Galacticon going, okay, I don't know what this is about, but I'm going to read it and I know I'm going to enjoy it. Dude, I fucking love it. Have you read it? No, no, no. It's it's been on my list to get at some oh, point. Oh man. Yeah. Well, man, look no further than the public library. It's fucking there. No, sweet. Yeah. Uh, for free. Thank you. Fucking happy days, dude. Um six issue sci-fi fucking ex- epic is the best way I can describe it. It's just like I don't know, it's such a love letter to sci-fi. Yeah, cool. but still metal. Um, basically, this fucking space cowboy bounty hunter dude just that wears a mask, um, like spacesuit, um, based on the Poseidon, um, and fucking mythology, um, breaks up with his missus after sending dick pics to a fucking stripper, and they go through a heated divorce, and like all the ingredients are there for this dark comedy. And th- this fucking ancient enemy of his comes back to try and get revenge. And it just, you know, our, our fucking title character fucking goes through hell and back to find himself again and, and identify, you know, that he's a douchebag and fucking just try to redeem some dignity with his ex and whilst saving the fucking galaxy from this fucking evil douchebag. That's kind of the short version of it. Cool. Yeah. And th- what's really cool about it is he, he has a sidekick droid, or two of them actually, but one of them is kind of like an R2-D2 character. Yeah. But Brandon Small came up, because he's a fucking genius, came up with the cool idea of making his char- uh, making this droid communicate using guitar tra- tablature. Oh, rad. <laughs> yeah, so like he he maintains that connection to rock and roll through it, um, and you see these fucking little speech bubbles pop up from the droid with fucking guitar tab. Yeah, and um, in early issues you can you can decipher the alphabet using guitar tablature. No, oh, that's cool. It's fucking brilliant, dude. And uh, he went one step further and uh, created not one but two albums. Based on Galacticon. Um, yeah, I knew, I knew about that, yeah. Yeah, because it was a bunch of leftover stuff that he had, demo, <coughs> excuse me, demos, and um, he 
long story short, I read I read about this today. He basically um, had Gene Hoagland, the drummer for Metalocalypse and fucking drummer god to everybody, um, testament, strapping all that, etc. I had him booked in for studio time and everything. Had it, the you know the band ready to go, and he goes, hey "Guys, change of plans. I've got these demos." A little bit more melodic than Metalocalypse, but hey, let's do something with it. And yeah. they fucking, yeah, they cooked up these two albums of killer fucking material. And yeah, it's what I've heard of it so far is fucking great. So yeah, cool. cool. Yeah. And uh, there is a short film online as well that um, I'll put a link to on the description box for this episode. Nice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He actually made a seven minute short film. For yeah, Galactica. Right. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, yeah. So there you go. That's Galacticon for me. What have you? What about Not... you? What are you reading? Um, what am I reading? I just finished reading um the Old Guard Tales Through Time. <clears throat> nice. Which is um, kind, kind of horror adjacent because we're talking about a bunch of immortal mercenaries, but um, mm. it's good. It's um, it's just a bunch of short stories that are set like because I mean you've got the first two old guard uh, graphic novels which are like you know a solid you know A to B story. These are just like little shorts that are set like through the past, like through the various periods of the characters' lives, like you know thousands of years ago when they've been alive and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, man, just a really good, solid bunch of, I mean, you know, and they've got, like, great talents on there that are, like, you know, Greg Rucker, Matt Fraction, like, um, yeah, just, like, a, a bit of a murderous row of, like, writers and artists from Image and other stuff. And, um, yeah, dude, just a really good, solid little series. Like, you know, it's a, it's a quick read. Like, you know, you can read, like, a, a short story pretty much, you know, takes you probably about 10 15 minutes to get through one and um yeah just really good stuff like you know there's some funny stuff there's some more serious stuff there's some like you know like crazy you know world war ii shenanigans like yeah it's it was a load of fun um and i've just i've just started reading the uh graphic novel adaption of clive barker's great and secret show which i've been Mm. waiting to get into for about a year now um nice so I've, I've been saving it to like just sort of dive into and it just felt like a good time to to jump into that one so i'm really looking forward to getting through that nice man very cool fuck yeah it's, um i i've been reading a bunch of different stuff but keeping to the freaky flicks um subject uh i read i've started to get into gunslinger spawn finally i've oh, got yeah. about 70 years so i'm up to issue two that i've read and fuck me this is a good series yeah yeah it is man yeah i think i'm i'm up to about can't remember what the last one i read it would have been maybe five or six i think yeah yeah well I'm, I'm on um up to issue three now but man it was fucking gold dude like um just some of the shit that fucking gets down to um, yeah, I love, I love the character gunslinger. It's, you identify from thing that this guy is, you know, um, not as powerful as the other spawn characters, but he holds his own and, uh, I don't know, he just brings kind of almost like a Clint Eastwood swagger to the, the mix. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I love the battle 
sequences through it. Um, yeah, Todd McFarlane really fucking kicks a goal with this one. It's a fucking series. Yeah, it is, man. And I, I love, love the art on it. Like, yeah, like, Brent, yeah. it's just whew, kicking goals on the art. Yeah, man, it's so fucking good, dude. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, one of the, one of the fucking, one of the good series that I didn't expect um, Todd to fucking pump out. Um, mm. You know, when he first announced this expansion of the Spawn universe, I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, my my only issue. Is, have, you been, have you been um, reading Scorched? I've got the issues, but I haven't read them all yet. But I read issue one. And I fucking loved it. Yeah, I I dig it, but I just my 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 kind of gripe is I'm like I'm not entirely sure where Gunslinger slots in with Scorched. Like I feel like. I he feel makes like, up the numbers. Yeah, I just feel like Todd needs to kind of give us a bit of a, you know, this is the reading order for shit. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, you know, Gun, Gunslinger Spawn, it's like, you know, he's still over in America somewhere, like, you know, dealing with what he's dealing with there. But then, like, with Scorched, it's like he's in Russia with the whole team and they're kind of doing their thing. Mm. Yeah, it's it's... It's one of them series that's kind of like, I don't know if it was like a tactical move to get people buying every fucking Spawn title, um, you know, like similar to what you have to do with DC and Marvel, mm. typically where you've got to buy a fucking, for example, I recently read and bought all the War for Earth 3 series. Yeah. Um, you know, had to buy an issue of Suicide Squad, had to buy an issue of Flash. And then I realized I didn't actually need to buy those fucking comics, but yeah, it, it all ties together loosely into the storyline. Yeah, I get the shits with crossovers like that, man. Because it's like you know, you you'll get. I mean, Marvel's Marvel's notorious for it, where it's mm. like, you know, oh, if you're getting fucking, uh, let's say Empire or something like that. Yeah, it's like, oh, you've got to get all of Avengers. You got to get all Fantastic Four. Then there's fucking. 13 different spin-off three-issue miniseries that you have to get and you get them and read them and it's just like this added nothing to it like i could have just skipped all of these completely like it kind of gives you two pages of watered down content collectively yeah and you kind of go well that was a waste of fucking 10 bucks yeah 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 i mean i i love the ones where like um dark knights like dark knights metal and death metal were right. they were prime examples of how to do a crossover right okay um, cool stuff like uh sinestro core war from green lantern fucking great series was another one that was just like holy shit this is fucking everything every single issue here matters and adds to the story yeah um you know, uh, Valiant did it with like Harbinger Wars and stuff like that. They they did a really good job on that. And I feel like it's like if you're gonna do that, then that's the model to follow. Yeah. Whereas I f- like, I feel like know. Marvel kind of sorry sorry um I feel yeah. like Marvel kind of vaguely did it with Acts of Vengeance, and that was back in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Um, after that, it was like okay, the Infinity Gauntlet, yeah, was kind of there. Yeah kind of not there but acts of vengeance kind of i don't know it was part of a a big a bigger picture 
mm. um, it all tied together in some sort of shape or form. I, I don't know. My, my, my memory is vague of it, but um, yeah. 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 I mean, I think the last good one from Marvel that I really, really enjoyed was probably like um, when they did like Second Coming and Messiah Complex in the X-Men. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Whereas like every single issue mattered and tied into the overall story. And it's like, okay, this is really good and it's important. And, you know, mm. but yeah, these these ones where it's like, oh, here's a spin-off miniseries. And it's just like, like I, mm. I think the last one I really got was like War of Realms. Okay. Was and that good? It, it was okay. But there was so much stuff there that just felt like filler. Yeah, because that was um, that was kind of like one of the last series with Quasar and Dark Hawk. If is, am I correct in saying that? Or? Oh no, no, that was War of Kings. Yeah, War of Kings. Yeah. Okay, no, my bad. Yeah, yeah, I didn't read that one, but War of Realms was like it was the big Thor crossover where Asgard invaded Earth, and you know, right. You had the Punisher hunting down frost giants and shit yeah, like that. Yeah. And there was some cool shit in there, but then there was a lot of stuff where it was just like, there's just so much fucking filler here that like, yeah. it just doesn't matter. And Siege was pretty good as well with, you know, the whole Norman Osborn. Yeah, Siege was good. Trying to fucking take over Asgard and shit. That was kind of cool. But yeah, I mean, there's moments of greatness and then there's just moments of shit. Yeah. You know, uh, and I don't know if it's just fucking pompous ego or what of, the, you know, the maniacal power of Marvel Comics and DC, but, you know, the, the, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just the fact that they do it because they can and yeah. they know that the people will, will pay exorbitant amounts of money to collect every single fucking issue um, that relates to the fucking... Um, series even though well, it kind of, it kind of makes you miss the, connects yeah it just kind of makes you miss the days of like the 90s or you know the 80s where it's like like crisis on infinite earths man it's like you could yeah. buy the 12 issues of crisis get the story and yeah. like you know if you were buying say firestorm at the time or batman or something like that mm-hmm. yeah there'd be a crossover but it was a crossover that just impacted batman or something like yeah. that it yeah. wasn't yeah. like oh, no, there's a three-issue. And it was just in the regular Batman comic. It wasn't like, oh, here's a special fucking four-issue Batman miniseries that ties into Crisis that does fuck all. Yeah, and while you're at it, by the foil and bows cover, that is totally irrelevant and probably the yeah. the highlight of the comic. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I feel you, man. It's um, Yeah, man. It's, yeah, there's um, a lot of truth there to it. Get your hands out of my wallet. Yes, yes. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, cool, man. So we've been reading some cool shit, and we threatened to talk about a cool movie this week. Um, are you pumped about talking about this one? I am. I am. Me too. Me too. It's been a minute since I've seen it, so um, I'm going to draw upon my my memory as best as I can for this one. But um, we had a great time talking about the first film of this series, yeah. and this sequel... As far as sequels go, it's rare that a sequel is just as good, if not on par with being better than the original film. Indeed. Mm. This week's film that we're talking about is a Tim Burton classic. Uh, 
fucks me why he didn't make a third film, but Batman Returns is a fucking cinematic triumph. And I have found over the years a lot of people's favourite Batman film. Really? That's yes. interesting. Yeah. Um, I think it's got a bit of the Blade 2 thing happening where it's like everyone acknowledges how great the first one was. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really feel like we've got to talk about Blade at some point. Oh, but, dude. Yeah. You know, people get to Blade 2 and it's like, okay, this just perfected it. Like... Yeah. And I really feel like Batman Returns. I mean, I know I, I, I would be very hard pressed to pick an absolute favorite Batman film, but I really feel like Batman Returns, I know, is a lot of people's absolute favorite Batman flick. There's much to love about it. I mean, it, it continues that dark gothic um, universe that Tim Burton so beautifully fucking created in the first film. But this one sort of goes very night. I don't know, it gives us that nightmare before Christmas kind of vibe as well in certain well, ways. I really like that it's set in the snow. Same. Like, I find that really cool. Like I, I, I love when movies, you know, like, okay, you're, yeah, you're in a city or something. I love when they use weather as like an extra element in there, like whether yeah. it's snow or fucking rain mm-hmm. or whatever. I just really feel like it adds something to it. And there's something kind of cool about, you know, the Batmobile and Batman cruising around in the snow and getting into fights and shit in the snow. And Mm -hmm. it's just a really cool visual aesthetic. I agree. And it, it sort of um, compresses everything neatly as well. Like it, it doesn't allow for things to blow out into, you know, um, I don't know. It just keeps things tight um, Mm. visually. So the snow kind of, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to sort of make sense of what I'm trying to say here, but it just, it really um, limits the battlefield per se. Yeah. And you really focus, like the, the battle scenes are really genuinely tight and fucking awesome, mm. um, which, which there's plenty of in this film. Oh, and I mean, you know, look, I, I, before we before we get into like, you know, talking about how great the cast is and, you mm-hmm. know, Danny Elfman's score and yep, uh, this is this movie has my favorite Batman shot of all time, which we talked about on the first episode, yep. but like just that moment. Let's where talk Bruce, about. Yeah. That moment where Bruce is in the library and he's just sitting there brooding and then like, you know, it's like the bat signal hits and it's just like, okay, yep. It's like he comes to life, mm. like, and it's just, I mean, you know, you could argue like, has no one picked up that there are little reflective bat signals all over the top of Wayne Manor? Probably not, but it's just such a fucking cool shot. Just that shot where he stands up in his library after he's been sitting there, you know, brooding, doing his Batman broody thing, and just stands up and he like the signals like fucking set against the wall and everything. It's so cool and such yeah. a great. Batman moment. I, I agree, man. And it's really what's really cool with this film as well is the development of Bruce Wayne as a character from the first film. Mm. Um, it's a really nice carry on from the first film um, and really quashes a lot of any doubts or concerns that Michael Keaton wasn't an appropriate, um, adequate enough actor to fulfill this role. Yeah. Um, w- which, thanks to the power of YouTube. I found a bunch of 
um, news interviews with fucking, you know, so-called experts in the comics industry and, you know, just ends up, you know, second-rate douchebag comic shop owners and stuff. Yeah. Just taking the piss out and sledging Michael Keaton, just going, you know, because at the time they they'd really known him more for Mr. Mum rather than yeah. Batman. So they were sort of drawing comparisons on that. And it's kind of an interesting parallel to our recent discussion of Robert Pattinson as Batman. It's mm. very interesting how the whole perception versus reality comes together. And Michael Keaton just fucking knocks it out of the park in his sequel. Oh yeah, dude. Absolutely. I always find it funny. Like whenever, whenever, you know, people get, kind of pissy over casting stuff because it's like well and i mean, look, I was guilty because i hadn't seen any robert pattinson stuff other than twilight and yeah you know i'm not going to judge the guy in twilight because i don't think anyone comes out of those movies well um even though there's like some great actors in there it's like look the source material is just so fucking terrible like no one's going to come out of that good it's like yeah it's just bad but every time someone gets cast as a comic book character like there is a there's a contingent of comic fans that are just like no fucking they're Mm. terrible it's like i mean that's the thing it's like Everyone ragged on Michael Keaton as Batman. Everyone ragged on Heath Ledger as the Joker. Everyone ragged on Jared Leto as the Joker. They ragged on Pattinson as Batman. They ragged on Ben Affleck as Batman. It's like, it's like a fucking sport with these fuckers. It really is. Like, and it's just like, look, why don't you just wait and see what happens? And also, guys, it's Hollywood, okay? If you don't like this one in about you know five ten years is gonna be a new one <laughs> yeah exactly exactly because i mean that that's that's the beauty of hollywood magic these days man they just fucking they create new interpretations of the same old thing and mm. you know at the end of the day we as the beloved fan will go out and watch it regardless yeah. of regardless of how much we don't think joe blow is gonna fucking make a, a good fucking so-and-so you know and uh, michael keaton's fucking hands down delivers one of the best Bruce Wayne slash Batman um, characters in the universe. Oh, absolutely. He, he just knocked it out of the park. And I mean, it's, it, you know, that there's that scene, you know, right at the start where he's taken on all the penguins, fucking little circus of crime. Yes. Things. Yes. That was and great. he's just like marching through, just systematically taking these dudes out. And it's just like, yeah, it's just like, that's a, that's a pretty fucking cool Batman moment because it's like, yeah, he's mm. just fucking, he's unstoppable. He's like, owning it like a boss, man. I fucking dig that shit because um, it's very in tune with the Batman comics. Mm. Like, uh, you know, Batman's methodology of going in battle, you know, take out the big guy first, then systematically break down the pack. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really nice nod to the comics, actually. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And yeah. um, no, you go. No, no, you, you go, please, please. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I mean, the rest of the cast are absolutely fantastic. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, who's just, you know, amazing. Like, I think it's neck and neck, her and Zoe Kravitz as, like, best on-screen Catwoman. Yeah, fucking um, A, dude. Yeah, yeah. E- even though, you know, technically her origin doesn't resemble Catwoman's proper origin, but it's like, who gives a fuck? It's cool. It's It's very Tim Burton. It's very sort of gothic horror like well you know, that's the, whole... the thing he, he he gives us a universe of characters that 
sort of doesn't completely adhere to the the classic comic formula, but it get, it puts a spin on it enough that you fall in love with the characters. And yeah, the way the way he does Catwoman is you, you really couldn't foresee it any other way. No, it's, it's very mystical. It's very very well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, then you've got like Danny. And look, I am not a fan of the Penguin as a character. Like. No, I've never he's... really been a fan of the Penguin as a character because it's like, you know, at best he's a crime boss in the comics with yeah. brick umbrellas. Like, yeah. But I really feel like Burton, like, gave us a really kind of scary, freakish Penguin that, Absolutely. like, yeah. And, you know, there's some, like, fucking creepy moments, like the bit where he bites that dude's nose. Dude, yeah, like, the, 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 the nose biting scene was hands down one of the, I don't know, most darkest looks into the, the character of the Penguin that yeah. um, only Tim Burton could conceive. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think that's the great thing that Burton brings to this, this one in particular is like, he really amps up that kind of dark gothic humor, mm, which yes. I think really works for it, especially with the Penguin and, you know, his interactions with everyone. I mean, and then you've got Christopher Walken, who's just fucking great, like, no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Christopher Walken, fucking, yeah, two words. That's Christopher Walken. That's all you need to say about the guy. He's yeah, just... I mean, he's just, he's brilliant in everything. And, I mean, in this, it's just like... Because, you know, you know, like, uh, 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 right. It's Bruce, just... Bruce Wayne. What are Bruce you doing Wayne. with Batman? It's... Yeah, hey Bruce Wayne, you know, hey, yeah, it's that's me doing a bad <laughs> impression. <coughs> COVID, um, yeah, dude, it was fucking cool, man. I love, I love his um, his involvement in the film. His character was fucking great. Um, even the dipshit son um was cool. Uh, yeah, it was great cast, man. It was really fucking cool. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, yeah. The the cast the cast were just fucking phenomenal. Like they really were. I mean, you know, you got Michael Goff back as as Alfred, and who's fucking great. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer, but you know, her portrayal of Catwoman was really, you know, despite the the fucking the obvious with the costume and the athleticism, um, just her demeanor from bumbling idiot to confident sultry um catwoman is just fucking yeah and i really i really like the fact that as the film progresses you kind of see the cracks starting to appear in her like you know her Her, psyche like her whole like you know she's you know yeah she has this you know she's like this fucking timid mild secretary who's just bullied by a douchebag boss um, you know, then she has, you know, well, he fucking murders her. Like he basically yeah. murders her. Yeah. Um, you know, she cracks, has this complete psychotic break. And, you know, then she's like this completely confident, like, you know, self-assured, dangerous woman. But then, you know, as the film progresses, it's like you start to see the cracks in that where it's like, you know, she can't keep the facade up and she's like really sort of falling to bits inside. Yeah. Which is, you know, I, I feel like a really good contrast to, you know, Bruce slash Batman, who almost has no trouble at all, like, balancing his double life. Mm. 
yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, yeah, again, you know, props to Michael Keaton for for the way he created that balance between Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, you know, where you you kind of by the end of that film, you realize that Bruce Wayne is just a mask that he mm. wears as well. Yeah, um, that's one thing that you've got to admire about these guys that play Batman is that because it's not an easy thing to pull off. Mm. And, well, and I feel like, off. yeah, I feel like Keaton's one of the ones that does it best. Like I really, like I, I think, you know, out, out of, a, out of a lot of them, I feel like, you know, you've got probably Keaton, uh, Pattinson and Affleck have really done well at doing that distinction between like the fact that Bruce Wayne is just a mask. He's just a tool that is used to further Batman's mission. Mm. Like, I mean, I sort of like, I thought Val Kilmer did a great, um, he did a great Bruce Wayne and he did an okay Batman. Um, Clooney, it's, I find Clooney really hard to sort of gauge because that movie was sort of fairly light on character development for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I I like Batman and Robin, and I mean, a Bale. I just felt like Bale just didn't really. I don't know, but Bale just there was no. I didn't really feel like a lot of distinction between Bruce Wayne or Batman. I'm still looking forward to our chat about the the Nolan trilogy, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that day is coming. We're getting there. We're getting there, boys and girls. We're getting there. Sharpen your knives, bitches. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. But, um, yeah, look, I, I'm the same with you. Like, I feel, you know, Val Kilmer plays a great he, – he did a great job as Batman, Bruce Wayne. Um, definitely, you know, nailed Bruce Wayne to a T, um, yeah. to, a, to a degree in terms of the suave, you know, billionaire um, character. But I think that one just fell a little bit short of the mark with the, the writing of the script and everything. Mm. Um George Clooney, I think, gave us a, a performance that was on par with um, trying to bring us back to that that campiness of the the uh, Adam West Batman. I mean, I think my thing with Clooney's Batman is that Clooney's Bruce Wayne just sounds like George Clooney. I think they just kind of looked at it and went, "Oh, George Clooney, he's a handsome." You know, I mean, at the time he was <clears throat> he was the fucking the sex god of Hollywood, and yeah. they just capitalized on that. Went, yeah, let's make. Yeah, him Bruce I think Wayne. they just went like. Yeah, George, just come in and just be you for Bruce Wayne. It, it's don't worry about anything else. Just just do George. Pretty much, and it was a movie plagued with like we'll, we'll talk about this in a in future episode. Oh it, yeah, I mean, I've, sure. I've I've got a very mounted defense of Joel Schumacher and why we shouldn't hate him for either yeah. of those movies because yeah. you know poor guy had a hard time. But. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. Look, I mean, look. Since Michael Keaton, there has been. Uh, I would say more interpretations rather than attempts to outdo his performance. But, I mean, fuck, you know, the fact that he's given us not one but two fucking incredible films mm. uh, and coming soon, um, Batgirl. Yeah. You know, well, reprising and, Flash. and yeah. Flash, yeah, to reprise his role. It's fucking cool. Um, one of the things I really loved with Batman Returns too, and they didn't have to do this, but they did, they kind of gave him a fresh coat of paint, new costume, new Batmobile. Uh, I love the new costume in Batman Returns. Fucking. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. 
yeah, I really dug the whole sort of um, sort of scaled almost armor. Mm. It made it look more armor than it did muscle. Yeah, um, that was my as much as I love the original film's costume. Um, it was just a little too. Oh wow! Look at it. These perfectly sculpted six pack and yeah torso. Oh wow, that's great. It's but it's armor. Um, whereas this one, it's a bit more believable that it's armor. Yeah, mm, which I really dug. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, you sort of like, <clears throat> you know, with the, with the first one. I mean, it's like okay, you're going for that molded sort of rubber look and stuff like that. You're sort of thinking like, well, is Bruce Wayne like? You know, when when you get to like Affleck and stuff like that, where it's like, okay, it's supposed to be basically his physique. Yeah. You know, with with the the Keaton ones and that, you're just like, I don't really picture his Batman or Bruce Wayne going like, yeah, give me a six pack. Yeah. In the suit, like, give me give me a six pack and some, you know, pretty pretty jacked up pecs, like the whole sort of armor kind of look, like the you know sort of plated look that he has in Batman Returns felt a lot better. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and it just felt like a lot more in tone with that world. Yeah. It's funny because with, with this, uh, this film, the, apparently there were several modifications made to this bat suit um, and including the color scheme and chest plate logo. But um Michael Keaton, his only request with this outfit was that a zipper added to the pants. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. So it makes you wonder the agony that he would have had to endure in the first film when it came to um, the business, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so thank fuck for the the, the fucking <laughs> um, the zipper, eh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, Apparently, uh, he was also alleged to have earned 11 million bucks for reprising his role as Batman. So, and apparently Warner Brothers weren't too keen on this, but Tim Burton was like, he fucking deserves it. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know. Mm. I mean, yeah, like, well, we saw what happened when they recast Batman and it just didn't really work out that great. No. Not at all. So, yeah, I, look, he, uh, yeah, I mean, his Batman was great. I loved, I loved all the additional gadgets. Um, they didn't overkill it with the gadgets, but I like that they employ a, a bit more of the utility belt with, mm. you know, what he uses in some of the battle scenes and shit. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and, I don't know. I don't know if this is fact or fiction, but apparently in this film, Batman doesn't wear boots in the movie. They're apparently Air Jordan sixes connected to an upper, which gives the boot-like feeling. I have heard that. Like, dude, that is. I don't know. That's fucking cool, right? Well, also, fun fact about this movie is that Robin was supposed to be in it. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Damon Wayans, was it Damon or Marlon Wayans? One of the Wayans brothers was supposed to be Robin <laughs> in this movie. Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, I think I vaguely remember reading about that somewhere. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they sort of scrapped it at the last minute. Like it was all the way there up to like the merchandising. Like there was a toy done for him and everything. Um, yeah, like in the full on Tim Drake Robin costume. And yeah, it was just scrapped at the last minute. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy, man. Um, I would have been would have been interesting to see that happen. Um. Mm. But, you know, another fun fact about the Batman costume in this, um, it weighed about 25 kilos. That's pretty fucking heavy. Yeah, to, to, carry to, around, be, to be lugging around and doing all that action, man. Like, that's... That's a little that's, bit of weight to carry around. Right? That's not a um, that's not a, an easy day at the office. No, no. So, and I mean, like, I mean, Michael Keaton is by no means a physically jacked up no. Human being, but um, you know, fucking kudos to him for you know earning his keep on on this film. Plus, one of the things I really love about this movie is uh, there's a Susie and the Banshee song on the end credits. Oh, for real? Mm. Yeah, fuck, I can't remember the name of it right now, but yeah, the end Damn. credit song is Susie and the Banshees. Damn, which I feel really like. I mean, you know, if you want to, if if you really want like a full on fucking goth Batman movie, I feel like this is the one for you. Like it is, it is as goth as like, goth gets. It, it really is. It's like you know, it's that whole gothic winter sort of fairy. Like I feel like Burton's really, you know, he's really channeling like stuff into this that like was in Edward Scissorhands that you would later see in Nightmare Before Christmas and Sleepy Hollow and stuff like that. Um, mm. You know, and it's a Christmas movie too, so you can watch it at Christmas. Too. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <clears throat> but um, yeah, you know, and then you got like, you got Susie Banshee's on the soundtrack, you know, you got kind of this like tragic sort of ending, like, you know, I mean, I love, I love the ending with Bruce getting the cat, which yeah. you know, we never saw again. So I'm kind of hoping that like, you know, it's stuck around Wayne Manor somewhere, yeah. but um, you know, and like, yeah, Selena popping up at the end there, like him thinking she's dead. Like, you know, it's very, um, yeah, it's kind of almost like a Gothic romance between mm. Batman and Catwoman, like, which is, is kind of cool. It is definitely a darker film in comparison to the first film as dark mm. as that was. Um, but there, yeah, definitely the the dark romance aspect of this film is you, you can't avoid it. I mean, yeah. the, the chemistry between Michelle Pfeiffer her, between her character and and Batman was just fucking incredible. The way yeah. it built and um, you know blossomed between Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne, but then over to Batman and Catwoman, it became yeah. a bit more sexual. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I always, I always love when people get the whole, which was one of the things I really loved about the Batman as well. I love when people get like the whole tragic kind of right girl, wrong time kind of thing yeah. with Batman and Catwoman. Like that always just kind of fucking hits me where I live, and it just it's so true to those characters. Like it's like okay, yeah, you can. You can change the origin. You can change this and that or whatever. I mean, I'm not too precious about stuff with that sort of thing. Like, I mean, I've even lightened up on Constantine, like, over the last few years with Keanu. Um, As long as you kind of get the vibe right, I'm there for it. And I really feel like, you know, this is one of those ones that does get the vibe right. Like, Mm. 
probably not as right as the Batman did because I feel like they really kind of nailed it. But you know, this was this was a fucking good starting point. Oh fuck yeah, dude! Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, interesting. Like, I I wish I knew more about the the leading into this film. Like, it's interesting that you bring up the Robin thing because they did go as far as like character sketches for the Robin character but yeah um it, it apparently it ended up getting released as a action figure anyway so yeah yeah it did i actually um i was i was really psyched when this came out because i saw like because i i loved tim drake as robin and i saw yeah, that definitely. action figure in a store and i was like holy fuck they've done a tim drake robin figure sweet and just grabbed it and i'm just like why is Robin being released as part of the Batman Returns line? And, you know, this was fucking, what, 92, 93? Yeah, yeah. 90, might, might have even been 91. But, you know, it, it, those pre-internet days, it was just like, maybe Robin's going to be in fucking Batman Returns. That'd be cool. That's the great thing about back then was that whole, you didn't have the, the, the convenience of social media and Google to just go on, here, there, and everywhere to, to, to find out stuff. It was kind of like you just had to read regular movie magazines like everybody else and yeah. find your information that way. And you'd watch E.T., um, you know, Entertainment Tonight. And, yeah. You, you know, you'd get excited over little tidbits of information, even if it was a fucking five-second si- five screen grab, you know. You'd yeah. lose your shit over it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or you know you get the trading cards and stuff like that, and you know the whole the whole bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, I wonder what this scene is. I wonder what this scene is. It was very cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was there was some really fucking cool things about this film, Um, and with the rock and roll um, connection to it too. uh, It's funny because we talk about Christopher Walken and David Bowie was originally considered to play. Uh, the Joker in the first film, but he was also the first choice to play Max Shrek before yeah. Christopher Walken. Um, yeah, it's a bit, bit sad I, that we I didn't see that. I dream of a world where Bowie played the Joker because I think that would have been fucking magic. Oh, man, I, I love Jack Nicholson's Joker, but fuck me, dude. David Bowie has the Joker. There's just something about that. Oh, uh, dude. Well, especially, like, I don't know if you've ever seen... Um the Batman Catwoman miniseries that's currently running, but uh, Clay Man, the artist, draws a bow, a, a Joker that is very thin white Duke. Oh, really? Bowie vibe. Oh man, I'll, I'll, I'll fucking, I'll hunt it up. I'll send you a picture. Like, yeah, it's like you, you can't mistake it. Like, it's just this shot of the Joker. He's got like white pants on. I think he's got a purple shirt, the suspenders. He's got a white, like, fedora hat and all that. And it's very Bowie. It's like, yeah, you can't mistake it. Like, if anyone ever says, oh, no, he didn't use Bowie as the inspiration for that. It's like, you're a liar. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, it's, um, yeah, and <clears throat> it's very interesting. But, uh, look, I mean, the, the cast they put together was fucking great. And you got to give props to Michelle Pfeiffer for what he what she put herself through to play the role of Catwoman. Yeah, um, trained fucking hours a day to fucking do kickboxing and yoga and weightlifting, um, and plus all that training with the whip. And well, there was also that thing, if I recall correctly, where Sean Penn, uh, not Sean Penn. Um, oh God, what's her name? 
You're telling the story. Oh fuck, man! I can't remember her name. But um, <laughs> are we talking about our original? Original um was it maybe no Sean Young, I think it was. Yes. Was yes. originally cast as Catwoman but had to drop out or they replaced her or something like that. She was preggers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she kept showing up at places dressed as Catwoman because yeah. she really wanted the role and just couldn't let it go. I remember that. And yeah, yeah, that was um kind of weird. Yeah, like didn't she show up on Leno or something like that? I don't know. Like, I I got a weird feeling she showed up on Leno or fucking Letterman or something like that, dressed as Catwoman, like still lobbying for the role, even though the movie was like shooting and like pretty much fucking done or something. I'd I'd have to do a bit of research, so don't quote me on that. But yeah, there was a whole thing with Sean. There is. Yum. Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, I've just found it on YouTube. Sean Young on uh, on the Joan Rivers show. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. She was one of them. She's on. She went on live TV to plea with Tim Burton to get her back on the show. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of weird, but anyway, go figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes all kinds of freaks to fill the freeways, but hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it fits with the fucking freaky aesthetic of this film. So yeah, um, but yeah, dude, fucking. Stan Winston, fucking props to him for um, once again delivering the goods, giving us uh, the penguins and the fucking the clowns and yeah. all the cool fucking visual effects that this made this movie so memorable. Well, and I mean the thing with this movie too is it's like like we were saying that there is some very dark humor in this. Like you know that mm. that, that moment where you know walking first wakes up in the sewer after he's been kidnapped by the penguin and the penguin's like pulling out like, you know, severed hands and shit from yeah. like people that Walken's murdered and like flushed down the sewer to like hide the evidence and shit like that. It's yeah. like, that's some pretty dark shit. Like, mm. yeah, there like, was some real dark moments throughout this film. Like, um, you know, like I love that we got, that introduction, that reintroduction to Batman, you know, in all his glory, going into battle, beating up the bad guys. I love that fucking fight where he's getting his ass whipped around with the the big muscle guy, but then, you know, fucking throws the bomb down the muscle guy's pants and smiles yeah. at him before it blows up. Shit like that was fucking cool. Yeah. But then the fucking, you know, the, the part where Penguin's cronies fucking infiltrate the Batmobile and take over and yeah, uh, stuff like that was really cool. But then, you know, the, the morbid aspect of it with the, um, the Christmas princess, whatever you call her, getting, yeah, kidnapped, yeah, yeah. getting kidnapped and subsequently killed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Shit like that was pretty dark for this film. Um, you know, which for some back then, uh, from the way it was promoted and everything, would conceive it as a as a kids film, mm. a kids Christmas film, but it was anything but that. It was, I mean, you've got you, you know you've got a, a fucking sociopathic um, criminal like the Penguin that's kind of cannibalistic in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like Danny DeVito knocked it out of the park with this, and it, mm. I, I honestly felt like it was a bit of a. Because, I mean, I, I grew up just thinking of Danny DeVito as a comic actor. Like, I, yeah. I'd seen him in, like, you know, fucking Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, totally. Twins, stuff totally. like that. And it was just like, oh, yeah, Danny DeVito, he's just like a comedian, you know. Fucking. Yeah. 
but I really feel like he knocked it out of the park with this. Like, and again, like it made the penguin a character that I actually enjoyed watching and a capable villain, which I thought was really fucking cool. Yeah. Um, like, because, that, like, he, he played him like evil. I love that scene between him and Batman where he's like, you don't really think you're going to win, do you? And mm. then that close up of Batman's reaction was, I, I don't know, to me was one of the highlights of the film. Yeah. I fuck like that those moments between the characters mm. but um yeah there was there was definitely um some real elements to devito's portrayal of the penguin that made him so unique and kind of i don't know set a new standard for the way that the penguins um, portrayed today yeah well i really feel like he turned him into like a real monster like a real you know gotham city freak um as yeah opposed to just like oh yeah he's a short that guy that goes wah, 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 wah. like you know yeah, with, yeah. with fucking trick umbrellas okay um i mean and i liked sorry i liked burgess meredith's uh, portrayal of penguin in the tv series like oh he, yeah absolutely you know like like you say i mean the penguin on paper is not the most memorable in terms of batman's um you know enemies uh as, as a formidable foe but yeah he holds his own as a criminal mastermind Mm. Burgess Meredith, who is also tipped to have played Penguin's dad early on in the film, unfortunately that time was plagued with illness, so he couldn't, yeah, you know, be in the film. Um, which would have, which really would have been sentimental and cool to see, but um, unfortunate. Yeah, but, but um, man, look, I mean, Danny DeVito is, I don't know, he really owned it, like the way he. He hoed into eating the fish, you know, things like that. There was, he, I don't know, it, it was definitely method acting. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. Like, he, he was really great. Like, I really think he just absolutely just fucking killed it. Yeah. And just made that character so memorable. Um, And, yeah, like we've said, like, you know, a hundred times, it's like, you know, the Penguin's not a really memorable character. And he just really redefined it i feel like for a whole mm. generation like absolutely he made the penguin cool again yeah yeah and i mean catwoman you know she was always a, a memorable character in the comics but michelle pfeiffer um combined with tim burton's vision gave us a catwoman that just gave us the catwoman we'd sort of been i don't know been desiring for a long time yeah just, just gave us something i don't know completely memorable completely psychotic um and like you say yeah she her battle like her her mirror was really cracking from the get-go yeah and just came full circle towards the end i just i really i what i what i love about this and the original is that like and it took like you know man for for, for a long time i you know, being a comics fan, like, you know, you, you do go through that period where you're like, oh, yeah, but it's not this and it's not that and whatever. But what I really love about these is because Tim Burton is such a fucking visionary director. Mm. Like, it's like you're, you're getting all these characters that you know and love, but they're filtered through <coughs> this incredible imagination. Mm. And yeah. it just really brings something to them. Like it's such a great sort of fresh interpretation of them. Yeah. Um, I like, agree. Yeah, you know, it's like his, his Batman is like, you know, 
pretty pretty different. Like his his penguin, his Catwoman, his Joker. Like you know, mm. he's he brings all like he just filters all of these great iconic characters that have been around for so long through his vision and gives you something really unique and fucking cool. Yeah, I agree. Like um, visually and um, personality wise, just gives us that I don't know fresh take on characters that we love before like i mean mm. i mean let's face it tim burton um i wouldn't say saved batman but he reignited everything that we loved about batman yeah well i mean dude he he redefined batman like he honestly yeah. he he there are elements of his work in every iteration of batman going forward from 1989 like you know yeah. you've got you've got elfman's fucking iconic as fuck score used for the cartoon and you know like even even other cartoons even though they haven't used the batman the animated series batman 89 score they've certainly riffed on it um yeah totally you know even like the the version the edge did for the the batman cartoon is like very much riffing on tim uh danny elfman's score um, you know, you've got elements that, that Burton brought in that have been, you know, used throughout the years. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, there was that whole period where they like redesigned Batman's costume so that it was full black, like, except for the yellow oval. I think that was, um, oh, Jesus, that would have been maybe 95, 96, maybe something like that. Possibly wow. 94. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So, uh, I mean, yeah, we kind of owe every uh, every cinematic or TV version of Batman going forward to what Burton did. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I agree. And, yeah, like the, the fucking, um, I don't know, some of the, uh, you know, the ripple effect of, we, we've touched on this a few times, like fucking the ripple effect of, um, of Batman, of Batmania is is still resonating today. I mean, I've, I've recently rewatching all the Titans episodes, and mm. um, you can see that, you know, tenfold. Yeah, um, yeah. So the legacy is incredible. Well, I mean, we kind of. I mean, look, you, you could argue that we owe <clears throat> modern superhero cinema to Richard Donner's Superman. But I really feel like we owe it more so to Burton's Batman because, you know, Burton's Batman, like, okay, yeah, it kick-started, you know, the modern superhero movie. It took people a while to catch up. Like, you know, Marvel certainly didn't get there until Blade. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, in terms of, like, the modern superhero movie being a blockbuster with a massive marketing push that that all goes back to batman 89 like and you know to a lesser degree following that turtles 1990 like you know the, the, every batman movie going forward from the original it's like okay man there were fucking toys there were cards there were t-shirts there were posters there were soundtracks mm. you know there there were like you know special home video releases mcdonald's happy meals with toys and glasses and all sorts of crazy shit yeah, the merchandise oh. was a, it was fucking crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, what what, what did Mackers? I'm trying to remember what Mackers did for Batman Returns. I think it was pens. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there were pens, and I remember there was something. 
and you had to get all four. Yeah. You just like, you didn't have to, but you wanted to. Yeah. And you basically fucking, yeah, went he- uh, head over heels to fucking get it every week. Yeah. 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 Um, and there was, a, I think Coca-Cola released a line of Batman Returns glasses. Yeah. Drinking yeah. glasses. I mean, everyone was <clears throat> getting on the bandwagon, dude. <clears throat> like, there was money to be made. Yeah. Uh, and fans are buying it up in fucking spades. Yeah, and you you see that going forward today, man. It's like you know, for they did it for X Men, they did it for Spider Man, they did it for you know Fantastic Four, the Hulk, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, I mean, 100%. They, they even did it for Blade, but the Blade toys never came out here, which I always regretted. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that on the Blade episode. But um, yeah, there was a there was a few things there that just kind of. I, I, maybe it was just shadowed by the whole Batmania thing still. Um, you know, people just wanted Batman and, you know, um, it was very hard to compete against mm. at that time. Um, but, yeah, that, the, the the effect of Batmania was profound in cinema um, and Batman Returns just solidified that completely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the Yeah, the battle scenes were fucking cool. Uh, like the the scenes between Batman and all of Penguin's Goonies, mm. um, the Batmobile looked fucking sick as always. I uh, love the Bat boat. The Bat yeah, boat was yeah. great. Um, <clears throat> I love the Penguin boat too. The Penguin boat was really yeah. cool. Um, and I, I and I loved I loved I loved and I maybe it was the fact that it was like set during winter in the snow and everything that mm. really kind of made it stand out. Like I loved the production design in the first one, yeah. but I really feel like it got kicked up a notch in this one. Um, just in terms, in terms of like, you know, we saw different locations, like we saw the sewers, you know, you had Christopher Walken's office, which was this weird round kind of, cold sterile thing um you know you had more of like gotham city like the sort of less of the the back alleys of gotham and more of like the streets um which i thought was really really cool like yeah it's just like it's it's a fucking good looking movie man yeah 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 it was a fucking really cool looking movie um i'm just reading some little facts about the film as well the, the movie made $47.7 million bucks in its first three days. Wow. At the time, it's a record, man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fucking, that's pretty impressive. And apparently security was so tight on production that not even Kevin Costner was allowed permission to walk on the set. I mean, that's pretty wow. fucking, that's pretty full on. Because <clears throat> there was a, yeah, there was definitely a lot of secrecy around these films early on oh yeah i mean and especially after the first one was so successful like you Mm. know they they would have been really keeping a tight lid on this one yeah absolutely but um getting back to michelle pfeiffer um yeah like there's some interesting facts about about this um about what she went through to play catwoman and and it was apparently um not just sean young but it was also annette benning was originally cast as catwoman who was replaced Yeah. yeah so Annette Benning was pregnant um, to, I think, uh, what's his fucking name? Warren, Warren, Warren Beatty. Yes. yes. Yep, 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 yep. So, um, Dick yeah. Tra- I've got to rewatch Dick Tracy at some point. 
I've just got to watch it, period. I haven't watched it. <clears throat> oh, dude, I haven't I'm seen in... it since it came out on VHS. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to see it. I picked um, up a Blu-ray like ages ago because it was really, really cheap. So Nice. Nice. Fuck yeah. But um, yeah, with Michelle Pfeiffer, dude, um, the, the cat suit, I mean, dude, I mean, you know, let, let's not beat around the bush here. It looked great on her. It was form-fitting. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean... She was a fucking stone cold fox. Like, she she like... suffered to look look the way she did for this film, um, but it was so tight on her that she often had trouble hearing her own voice. So Tim Burton got her to lower her voice register because she um, would often shout her dialogue instead of just saying it. So okay, yeah, and they went through about sixty odd cat suits during the six month shoot. So each suit cost about a thousand bucks a piece. Wow. Just to give you an idea. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, I guess, you know, th- that's one of the other things about this movie that's great too is the consistency. It's like, you know, that cat suit goes through a lot of changes throughout this film. Like, it because, does. You know, as it gets damaged, it's like, you know, she's doing like little repairs on it, which completely alters how it looks. Mm. So, which is, I thought, I love a that really detail. cool touch. Yeah, I, I really like that. I love that it didn't sort of, you know, look um, fresh, you know, like a mm. fresh coat of paint every day. It, it did look a little battle-worn. Yeah, well, and it very much looked like an outfit that she was making at home. And, I mean, uh, dude, we've got to talk about that fucking iconic shot after she puts the cat suit together, like that purple fucking hell here neon sign where she just yes. standing in the window. It's like... Fucking hell, dude. There is some great photography in this movie. Like, yeah. there are some absolutely iconic shots. And Agreed. Yeah, I think I'm kind of convincing myself that this is probably, you know, one of my favourite Batman films. <laughs> um, I'm with you all the way, man. I think, like, that that scene where she positions her face in that, sil- in that purple oh, the silhouette. silhouette the, the, yeah. Fuck, dude. Like, yeah, talk about cinematic fucking brilliance um if you're not a fan of moments like that then there's mm. you must be a morrissey fan for sure yeah but um and have no pulse but yeah. um yeah one of the other moments that i really loved about michelle's um portrayal in this and cinematography was um the, after she's you know cutting sick through the department store and then she uh you know turns on all the microwaves and then just casually just skips out and just yeah skips out in front of Batman and Penguin who are just both looking at each other like, who the fuck is this? And, um, yeah, and then she just does that iconic meow before the explosion. Yeah. Fuck, dude, that was brilliant. Yeah, man, yeah. And then when she just hops away and fucking Penguin just screams at Batman, I saw her first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking cool, man. I mean, I do, I do kind of feel that, like, I feel that this movie got <clears throat> not a bad rap and not overlooked because it's always, I mean, it did well. It's, you know, it's um, Dude, I mean, not a it's... movie that I feel anyone's ever bagged on, but I feel like after the first one, it's like, okay, you've yeah. got Batman, you got Batman, you got the Joker. It's like, yeah. that's, that's your first like bang first yeah. movie off, off, off the shot. And it's like, you know, you follow that up with Catwoman and the Penguin, which are not, you know, Catwoman's always been a great character, but they're not, um, 
you know, there's certainly not like the headline as they're not like, you know, no, you're not going to, you know, if you were like, you know, oh, well, it's a Batman movie with Two-Face and the Riddler. It's like, oh, fuck, you know, shit, that's going to be cool. Whereas like with the Penguin, it's just going like, oh, you're following up the Joker with the Penguin. That's an interesting choice. So I kind of, it gives us balance. Yeah. I kind of feel like it's sort of, you know, people kind of weren't expecting it to be as great as it was. Mm, I agree. It was it, it was a welcome surprise for many people. Like, you know, it, it's I put this as a sequel up there with the likes of, you know, the greatness of The Empire Strikes Back and um, even Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan. You know, yeah, 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 aliens. Fucking, you know, yeah. Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, you know, like yeah. the, Breakdance is... Two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> oh, dude, I can't, I can't fucking add to that. That is fucking. <laughs> Where the fuck did that come from? I that don't is... know. We were talking about great sequels. I was like, well, you know, nah, dude, that was fucking gold. Jake Reedy, <laughs> oh, Jake Reedy sets the gold star standard. Damn, dude. <laughs> Damn, that's fucking. That's one for the highlight reel. <laughs> Fuck me, that's gold. But no, man, it is, it is, it is one of those great sequels that's just as good as the original, and I feel in some ways better. And I, it's not one of those things where it's like you know, oh, it's a better movie than the first one. It's just like you know, the first one, like you know, this perfected the formula. I feel mm, like mm. The, the first one sort of laid out the the you know the the road signs and everything, and this one just followed them to a T, and you know really like refined that formula of like okay this is how you make a really great batman movie mm, i agree yeah it's um it it really fucking i i don't know if tim burton just you know was looking into a crystal ball and went okay this is going to be the last batman film for me i'm going to make it a fucking good one um or what but man he fucking just yeah like he set a standard by the end of this film that was very hard to, to top Mm. And unfortunately, the the Batman sequels afterwards couldn't, not no star power or anything could fucking knock it off its perch. No yeah. way, it was untouchable. I I mean I know we'll talk about this when we get to like Batman Forever and stuff like that. But mm. I mean, there was a fuck ton of studio interference in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, and I know a lot of that was a big contributor to both Burton and Michael Keaton not coming back because they were ready to come back for a third one. Um, Cause I, I remember, was, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I remember back in the day, man, there, there were stories about like, you know, uh, Burton's going to do a third one with Michael Keaton. Uh, Robin Williams was in talks to play the Riddler. Oh, wow. Um, you know, there were talks about uh, man bat potentially scarecrow. Um, yeah, there was a whole bunch of stuff. And then, like, you know, even Schumacher was going to come back for Batman 5 and he was going to be doing stuff with, like, I think he was going to go for Nicolas Cage as the Scarecrow, yeah. which would have been fucking zany. Um, and I think he was also possibly going to introduce Harley Quinn. Um, Damn. But, um, hey, I just had the weirdest idea. And, uh, and this is just wishful thinking, speak it out loud. But see if you ride this wave with me. So we're going to get Michael Keaton in not one, but two upcoming films reprising his role as Batman. 
How awesome would it be if the stars would align for Tim Burton to give us that third Batman film, irrelevant to Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, just a direct sequel from Batman Returns. I'll go you two better. Okay, but I'll, I'll just finish. Sort of a give us a, a version of, you know, obviously Michael Keaton's older and everything, but give us that kind of Tim Burton-esque take on Dark Knight Returns. You just read my fucking mind. Peas in a, <laughs> peas in a pod. Peas in a That's pod. literally what I was going to say. I was going to say, how fucking cool would it be to get Tim Burton mm-hmm. doing his riff on mm-hmm. Dark Knight Returns with Michael Keaton as Batman? Like, that would be pretty fucking cool. Peas in a pod, man. I, man, I think I... I would be very surprised if Batman fans worldwide weren't thinking the same thing right mm. now, especially after seeing images of Michael Keaton back in the bat suit. Yeah. I think, man, dude, give the fans what they want. I think it would be appropriate for Tim Burton to, to give us a masterful fucking third Batman film that would complete that trilogy that he started. And, I don't know, like with the technology today and everything in place, it would be awesome to give us the bane that cinematically we were deprived of. Yeah, repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. I I I think dude, I, I think it would my, be awesome. My my weird hope for the Flash and, you know, Batgirl is that we get Chris O'Donnell back as either Robin or Nightwing. It's highly possible, man, with this whole I'm multiverse like, thing that's going well, on. that's the thing. I'm like, okay, I don't know where they stand as to whether, like, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are a continuation of Burton's Batman films. I don't know whether that's... I mean, for me, they always were. Mm. Um, but I'm like, well, it would be so cool. Cause I really thought Chris O'Donnell was fucking great as Robert. Dude, he like, was awesome, man. He was fucking I thought cool. He was great. Like I, I, I thought he was, I thought his character was a great mesh of like Dick Grayson, Jason Todd and Tim Drake. It's like, you know, you got Dick Grayson's origin, you got Jason Todd's attitude and Tim Drake's costume. And you know, what would be cool is if you had Chris O'Donnell reprising the role in a, in a Tim Burton, Michael King verse where you know he's obviously older too and we make dick grayson or tim drake more of a you know more of the um dick grayson character from titans he's a detective he's married man and all the rest i don't know man the possibilities are endless there and i think Mm. that that there is something there that would i think um you know you know regardless of the 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 fucking impact and success of Matt Reeves, Batman. Um, I think, you know, fans would be just as equally happy to have a fucking, you know, a Tim Burton Batman movie as well. Like fucking let's be greedy. Let's fucking, you know, what's stopping us? Well, yeah, it's like, you know, I mean, yeah, man, I, I think Burton doing the Dark Knight Returns would be really fucking cool. Like, I think, yeah. like, you know, and even if he could, like, you know, coax Jack Nicholson back to play the Joker, it's like... That would hey, be kind of neat. It's comics. I know he fell off a building. Maybe he got better. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a headache. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all. Bump, bump to the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. It is <laughs> fine. 
He's fine. Um, but yeah, dude, look, Batman Returns fucking, yeah, hit hit a home run with, you know, merchandise, with fucking great cast, Danny Elfman fucking reigning supreme once again on the soundtrack. Um, Michael Keaton just fucking being Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer proving that um, the cat suits can look cool. Yeah, and Susie and the Banshees, I mean. Yeah. I always thought The Cure should be, should have been on one of Burton's Batman films. Yeah, dude, that would have been sick, right? Like, I, I always thought, like, you know, man, like, especially, like, you know, as a kid, like, hearing that Susie and the Banshees track, it's just like, this is so perfect. Why isn't he using The Cure? <laughs> mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because Burton is a bit of a Cure fan, too, so. Well, I mean, you know, it's the hair. Like, I'm like, dude, yeah. you can't tell me you're not a Robert Smith fan. Come on. Well, he's definitely not a Morrissey fan. <laughs> I'd say few are, but somehow they're still out there. Yeah. This is kind of a weird obsession we have going on talking about fucking Morrissey, isn't it? Oh, no, it's it's got to be a thing. It's like, you know, it, until, until that pompous fucking jackwad shuffles off this mortal coil and takes his shitty shitness with him, I'm going to sledge that fucker Yeah, everywhere. fucking A, dude. And, and the thing is, is that Morrissey fans, they've got every opportunity to write into us, um, you know, and drop us a line and, and defend the case, man. Like, but we're all ears. I don't think there are any. Like, I don't think there are any. And certainly, like, none of our listeners have tasted that awful. So No, I don't think so. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, I'm pretty sure everyone's just out there going, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Until yeah. until someone writes to you and says, "Well, listen, guys, I've I like wearing polyester and taking <laughs> long walks on the beach, and I don't understand all the hatred. Why can't we just learn to love one another?" Shut the fuck up! <laughs> I, th- I think it's more likely at some point we're going to get to like episode one hundred and five, and someone's just going to write in, guys, guys, you've been hammering Morrissey for a hundred episodes now. Lay off. Just pick someone new. Can't do that. It's just not in our DNA. No, no, no. Nah, not and if I did pick someone new, I'm probably just going to like, I don't know, uh, who, who, who can I pick on? The trail always finds its way back to Morrissey. And some, you, yeah. You, you can veer there's, off track. There's no one else I loathe. It's like, I could say Nickelback, but like, there's actually Nickelback yeah. tracks that I kind of don't mind. See, th- this is the thing. I'm happy to have this discussion at some point. I don't have a hatred for Nickelback, and I, we have talked about this before. Yeah, they're fucking—they got some banging tracks, dude. Well, yeah. neither do I. I mean, look for me, it's like okay. Because I was thinking about this the other day, because I got a Nickelback song stuck in my head because I, I was having a, an emo mo. Okay. And I was I was thinking about something, and I just got yeah. a Nickelback song stuck in my head, and had like a full on emo mo about it, and I was like, oh yeah, because I was waiting for an Uber, and you know the arcade near where I, I get my groceries from was playing Nickelback really loudly. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes me think of, yeah, I kind of like this. Song. And it dawned on me mm-hmm. that Nickelback are the modern Bon Jovi. Yes, they are. They are the modern Bon Jovi because it's like they're that middle of the road rock. They've got some songs that you're just like, oh, fuck off. Yep. But they've also got some songs where you're like, hey, that's pretty cool. And everyone likes them because it's about the thing in the 90s. Everyone liked Bon Jovi, like Bon Jovi, like as soon as fucking Keep the Faith hit, 
Yeah. Everyone was a Bon Jovi fan. Yeah, fucking I, dude. Like, I and, mean, yeah, like all those bands, dude. Like, fucking all the Poisons and Def Leppards and all that. They all had their staple fucking um, list well, of bands. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Man. It's like in the eighties, like you know, your 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 Jovies, your you know, your Def Leppards, your Poisons, your Rats, and everything. They were kind of like the, they were like the, the they were they were the hair metal rock. Like mm. you know, they were only for the metal heads. But then, mm. like you know, as soon as they like progressed into the nineties and started doing some shit that was a little more radio friendly, a little more like I can listen to this without my mum giving me side eye kind of thing. Yeah everyone became a Bon Jovi fan. As soon as When Love and Hate Collide came out, everyone was a Def Leppard fan. Like, yeah. Aerosmith. Yeah, as soon as Aerosmith did fucking um, Janie's Got a Gun, everyone was an Aerosmith fan. Like, Or even when they did I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Oh, yeah, once they did I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, like, fucking everyone was an Aerosmith fan. But the thing is, we we all forgot about Toys in the Attic. Well, some of us didn't, but... Yeah. Yeah, like... (laughs) Fucking every mum and her fucking mum were fucking glued to fucking I don't want to miss a thing. And it's like, mum, they had other songs. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's, like, here's Toys in the Attic. Shut the fuck yeah, up and yeah. listen. Have, have you heard Sweet Emotion? Like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that's the thing. It's like during the 90s, like every, all, all the like, all the like hair metal bands from the 80s kind of got a little bit respectable like mm. and i don't blame them for it i don't sit there and point the finger and go sell out it's just the way it happened like yeah you know rock was like very popular back then and everyone was suddenly a fan of these bands it's like man i remember my mum listening to fucking ozzy osbourne like yeah yeah it was like you know as soon as like mama i'm coming home came out it's like oh that's a nice song it's like that's the Prince of Darkness. He doesn't do nice. What are you yeah, talking about? Yeah, exactly. Like, come on. Come on. And then yeah. I was like, oh, no, I like Fire in the Sky. It's like, I like Fire in the Sky, too. You can't like that. Like, that's yeah. no. Like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I hear you, man. Totally. And and the trend continues into today, man. And uh, we could talk about this shit for hours. Yeah. But, yeah, I, <sighs> I honestly, I honestly, it dawned on me, man. It's like Nickelback are the modern Bon Jovi. And... I know it's cool to hate on Nickelback, but I kind of can't. Like, yes, I admit some of their songs are not my thing, but, you know, live and let live. At least they're not Morrissey. Well, and at least, yeah. Yeah, at least they're not Morrissey. I I, I won't top that. And you can be safe in the knowledge of knowing that um, Nickelback won't be on a Batman soundtrack either. No, no, I, I, I guarantee you, if they were around, oh, man, that Batman and Robin soundtrack was a weird mix, man. You too, yeah. We'll yeah. talk about that, but yeah, man, you too. That's all I got to say about that. That was fucking weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing, just um, before we wrap up, I, I, I want to say, just um, getting back to Batman Returns. One thing we missed on one of the the big fucking scenes of the movie that just re- came to my memory was, um. The fucking the scene where um, Catwoman eats that live bird, like, yeah, puts it in yeah. Her mouth. I was actually, I was actually thinking about that before. Like, yeah, and yeah, we, like, we totally know, missed that. Stab the cat. <laughs> yeah, um, that was a, you know, when when you talk about the darkness of this film, that is one beautifully executed example of why this film is so fucking dark. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, that was um that was a weird one. And I looked into it real quick as well. And um yeah, she she did put a live bird in her mouth. Yeah. Um they were like they had fake ones, but but Michelle Pfeiffer thought exactly that, that they all looked too fake. So she opted to put a live one in her mouth. And I don't know about you, but it takes a great fucking source of uh, strength of character to pull off something like that. Yeah. Well, see, my mind instantly goes to what if that bird had taken a shit? Exactly. <laughs> like, this, that's just where my brain goes. I'm just like, Took you a put shit a live or, bird in your mouth. What if it crapped on you? Like, or, or eyeballed your fucking tonsils went, hmm, what's this? Yeah. And started like, chipping away at it. Like, I don't know, man. There's endless possibilities here. Mm. But, man, it, it made for one of the most... It's a really memorable scene. And, I mean, you know, they're like, like talking about the darkness of it as well. It's like the lead up to that scene. It's like, okay, the lead up to that scene is the penguin groping some chick's tit yeah as he goes upstairs it's like you wouldn't get that in a modern superhero film yeah there was there was a long long sleaziness about the way he puts that button on her chest yeah like you know you would not get your villain you know fondling a titty for a good couple of minutes not at all like you're not going to get that in spider-man no way actually okay uh, I will. I will quickly mention too that that button. Um, the artwork on that, as well as the artwork of the Joker buttons in the first film, uh, is. Am I correct in? And forgive me if I'm wrong. Am I correct in theorizing that that is all Neil Adams, who recently passed away, his artwork? I definitely think the Joker one was. Mm. Um, the penguin one, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I know would... the penguin one was a nod to the seventies. Yeah, comics. yeah. yeah. I, I would really take a confident punt in saying that the Neil Adams, Neil Adams did the Joker ones from the first one for yeah. sure. Like, yeah. and I, if, I... It, if it wasn't him, it was Jim Aparo. Um, yeah, okay, cool. I really think it was Neil Adams. I would say. Yeah, because I, I want to say, man, like that's one thing I appreciated between the two films was that little little tip of the hat to to the comic book series of the seventies and eighties. Mm. Oh, absolutely! With, I mean, it was just subtle detail, but it's you know something that fans pick up on, and yeah, I I, I love that visual reference to it. I mean, it was you know when you look at it initially from the outset as a as a maybe a novice film watcher or whatever, you kind of go. Uh, looks a little bit different compared to the fucking what we're seeing on camera, but mm. um, I don't know. I, I just thought it was a nice little touch for the fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's 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 just a great little Easter egg. Yeah, I agree. Uh, any final thoughts about Batman Returns? Um, no. It's it's. I'm just going to say I, it's a great fucking sequel. I think we've covered everything. It's a fucking amazing sequel it's like probably the most gothic-y kind of horror batman you're likely to get um like just in terms of like just the overall aesthetic of it like it's a Mm. great gothic sort of christmas movie i love 
the way that Tim Burton took, I mean, like I said, it took me a while to really, really, well, not a while to warm to it, but it took me getting out of my pretentious 20s. Yeah, yeah. To sort of warm to like, okay, it's cool to have a different interpretation and to have it filtered through the lens of a really great artist. Fucking amazing. Um, that just really makes it something special and unique. Mm. Um and yeah, just it's a fuck it's a fucking great Christmas movie. Too. Fucking it is, yeah. Um, fun for the whole family. Yeah, 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 really yeah. Is. Actually, <laughs> I know, I know, I should wrap it up here, but I, I have got one burning question to ask you about this film before we go. The scene at the end, you, I, I love that you brought up about Michelle, um, not Michelle, but um, Catwoman's fractured personality throughout the film. But towards the end where she goes complete fucking ape shit and her costume is shredded to bits and she's her hair's frazzled and everything. Yeah, and she she taser kisses walking. <laughs> yes. Um that that scene between her and Michael Keaton when he rips his mask off. Mm. I don't know about you, but is there's something about that scene that as much as I liked it, I didn't. Yeah, okay. I have I have major issues with um superheroes losing their masks because i'm currently sort of spinning my way through sam raimi's spider-man trilogy and i just want to staple peter parker's mask to his face yes i agree because it's just like and with the 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 original batman four films it's another thing it's like okay alfred stop letting people into the bat cave Bruce, keep your fucking hat on. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he, he similarly does a similar thing in the original where he's like, you know, tells the Joker like, oh, you killed my parents. It's like, oh, I guess we're just forgetting the secret identity now, are we? Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I love, I absolutely love Michelle Pfeiffer's performance in that scene. Like that whole thing where she's just breaking down and she's yeah, like, you know, so good. Oh, Bruce, I'd love to come and live with you in your castle, but you know, rah, rah, rah. And she's just losing her fucking mind. Like it's like all this fucking trauma has just like caught up to her and just like jumped on her and gone, hello there. Um, and she's just like fucking losing her shit. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I like the intent of it where it's like, okay, Batman Bruce is like desperate to save her. And he's like, you know, doing this as a way to try and reach her, but it just does not ring true to Batman as a character. It's like, yeah, I don't think like I can see him trying to talk her down and doing that whole thing. But like, you know, ripping his mask off and doing the, oh, hey, it's me. It's like, dude, really? Like, yeah. You know, fucking like, uh, unless you're planning on murdering everyone here, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now everyone knows you're Batman. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. I mean, it did lead to a really funny line with Walken where he's like, Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed as Batman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fucking cool. Um, yeah, I like, I like that uh, that that whole. Okay, I can see your Batman, but I don't believe it. This, yeah, I yeah, call yeah. bullshit. I, yeah. I I kind of like that. That was that was really masterfully done. Yeah, yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. And I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and, and Fife's line is like, "Cause he is Batman, moron." <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, it was good. But um, yeah, dude, Batman Returns, fucking yeah. It the title says it all. It fucking it's fucking bold. Oh, it's ace, daring. Ace. Um, yeah, it goes places that few sequels have to this day ever ever gone. And well, um, I feel like it goes places like that. <clears throat> we haven't really had a lot of Batman movies go like in terms of like being incredibly dark and serious, but still having a really dark sense of humor running through it and yet being incredibly, you know, gothic and, you know, very much a tragedy, which is, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't feel like we've had a, a Batman film quite like it. I mean, you know, the Batman, the new one is certainly great and a fucking masterpiece, but yeah, I don't know. This this one sort of managed to like it has that that fantasy element in it that I kind of dig in Batman movies because I'm I'm a bit over super serious, super realistic Batman movies. Like, yeah, you know, and we'll get to that when we get to Nolan. Yeah, um, I just feel like that. It's like, and I don't think we need to go as far out as you know, Batman fighting Doomsday in Dawn of Justice. But I just no. I feel like Burton's stuff straddled the line really, really well and gave us something that was like, you know... It just gave us that, that perfect balance of dark fantasy yeah. and gothic noir and just, I don't know, just brought it brought it to life beautifully on, on camera. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I just feel like, you know, Burton also gave Batman a visual sense that hasn't really been matched. I did like some of the shit Schumacher did, but I feel like he got forced to push it a bit too far. Yeah. I th- I'm with you, man. I, I, I look forward to that future discussion. Um, I feel like there were definitely studio politics steering. Oh yeah. They're, they're pulling were, the strings. Man. Yeah. I've, I've listened to, cause I, I've got the whole series on Blu-ray and right. I was really keen to get it because Joel Schumacher did commentary for both Batman forever and Batman and Robin. Oh wow. Cool. And, Dude, he does not hold back, like, at all. Like, he gives you a warts and all, like, it's almost like he's apologizing through it, but he's also explaining, like, hey, here's the fucking shit I had to face. Um, And they're both really, really interesting commentaries. I think Burton does them for Batman and Batman Returns as well, which is pretty cool, too. Oh, that's that's fucking way cool, man. Yeah, it's, um, I mean... Look, Batman, Batman Returns, fucking triumphant cinematic masterpieces matched superbly with merchandise through the stratosphere. The video games were pretty cool as well. Yeah. I vaguely recall um, the Batman Returns on the Mega Drive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a a lot to love about it. And um, it's great that even today... You know, we can still talk about these without saying that they've aged like, you know, like old or anything. They, they, yeah. they fucking, you could watch it today and still think it's as good as any fucking film made yesterday. Well, they still really hold up. And it's it's funny, man, because as I said, I've, I've been watching um, the Raimi Spider-Man movies. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that, you know... Batman and Batman Returns still hold up incredibly well to this day. Like the effects, nothing looks dated in them. 
there's nothing in there where it's just like, oh, yeah, obvious yeah. product of, you know, whatever era. Yeah. The funny thing is, it's like, you know, a lot of the more modern stuff, like particularly around the early 2000s onwards, some of those movies, because of, you know, what they were doing with some of the digital effects as opposed to going practical where they could, yeah, don't really hold up that great, I don't feel. Like, no. I mean, Spawn, Spawn fell victim a little bit to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was even watching uh, Affleck's Daredevil, uh, the director yeah. part of it, which I, is a movie that I do really, really like because, hello, Daredevil. Um, yeah, you know. yeah. Um, but, dude, there are some moments in there of digital work that looks ropey as fuck, and you're yeah. just going like, oh, this... And, I mean, it, it it's particularly bad in Daredevil because that is a character that does not need digital effects applied to oh, in terms no. of, like, him flipping around and shit. It's no, like, no. hey, look, guys, Netflix did it without having yeah, to throw that thanks, shit in there. Thanks <laughs> fuck they did, man. Thanks fuck. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's, really, it's really interesting that, you know, superhero movies that, you know, were made, what, you know, 10 or so years prior looked mm. a lot better than, you know, some of the, the, the ropier elements of, um, you know, some of the early 2000s superhero movies. And it's a, it's an interesting contrast. It is. And I think it, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, you can have all the fucking bells and whistles and the big budgets and, you know, the CGI fucking silver spoon bullshittery of today. But if you've got a great eye and a great vision, you will make a great film regardless well, of exa- what. Exactly, man. And I think that's the thing with, you know, that's the thing that comes with getting a director like Tim Burton because it's like he does bring a certain aesthetic to it. Like, you mm. know, you're you're getting him to do his thing. And if you get out of the way and let him do his thing, you're going to get something really fucking special. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like there's a real statement that he makes between the two films. Um, and I feel like, you know, the, the first film was the realization, but the second film was the fruition. You yeah. know, it was really him just realizing, uh, you know, taking what he learned from the first film and just flourishing with it and just giving us this fucking, like you say, Christmas epic. Um, you know, the idea of having it set at Christmas time is fucking masterful. Well, you know, it really snow. makes it feel, I was just thinking then, man, like, you know, it, it, it gives me, I mean, I mentioned it before. It gives me Edward Scissorhands vibes. And I really think it yeah. makes it like a, a Batman version of like a gothic fairy tale. It, it really does, man. It's it's kind of like, you know, Tim Burton's, it, it, it's his way of giving us a tragic love story. Yeah. That, that's essentially what it is in many aspects. Like when you look at the, you know, the climax between Batman and Catwoman, mm. that, that's a tragic love story right it there. It is, man. It absolutely is. That's the thing. And I mean... As we all know, I'm a fucking romantic idiot and I go fucking a great big rubbery one for tragic love stories. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, really, like, when you think about Burton's career, like, this completely, completely is like, this feels like everything he wanted to say about Batman because so many of Burton's movies are dark fairy tales. They really are, man. They really are. Sleepy Hollow, Edward Scissorhands, um, even Beetlejuice to a degree, you know. Yep. Batman, Batman Returns, like, yeah. like so much of his stuff is rooted in like, you know, this is a dark fairy tale, even mm. Dark Shadows, which I fucking loved and everyone mm. else seemed to hate. Um, 
but yeah, I just, I really feel like, you know, this is, this is like Tim Burton with the fucking leash off taking yeah, on Batman. I agree. I agree. You know, yeah. Whereas the, the first one, it's like, yeah, he kind of had to, you know, sort of play a little around what the studio expectations were. And also he was a much like, he wasn't as established a director by then. Whereas by the time he got to Batman Returns, it's just like, all right, fuck you. I'm Tim Burton. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. And he fucking and, does it, man. And, and thank God he did. And with performances from Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Keaton, Alfred Goff, and the list goes on. Michael Goff, sorry. Um, it, it just, you know, combined with Danny Elfman's fucking cinematic fucking music mastery, mm. uh, it's a really well-balanced fucking per- film, film of perfection. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. With very few flaws. Very few flaws except for, I will say it, the, the fucking scene at the end where Michael Keaton rips the mask off. Yeah. To me, that's a big no-no. I think mm. that's the only piece for me that ruined the film. And I know there's reasons why it ripped off the way it did, but it just, I mean, fuck, dude. You know, anyone that knows Batman knows you, you can't possibly take off Batman's mask easily. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Michael Keaton takes it off himself, but the way he takes it, just rips it off like it's, oh, oh, oh that is rubber. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I kind of lost a bit of its charm and mystique by that point for me. I, yeah, that that's my only complaint with the film. That yeah. really is. Um, but other than that, fucking double thumbs up from me, man. Fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. Dig yeah. it, a- absolute winner. Yeah. Well, dude, I think we covered all the bases. Uh, hatred of Morrissey still holding steady. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fire burns beautifully. Um, I've survived COVID. You are uh, on on the up and up, my friend. I'm, um, I'm 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 still a ball of anxiety, but I'm dealing. Um, yeah. Uh, old guard, tales through time is cool. I will report back next week and let everyone know how great Clive Barker's great and secret show graphic novel is. Fucking a, and read Galacticon Kids is a great read. Brendan Small fucking Nick nicks it in the butt. And Nine Inch Nails are still fucking awesome. And oh. we'll be covering their entire discography at some point. <laughs> Woohoo! Can't wait. All right, dude. Well, that's another one in the bag. And uh, as always, an absolute pleasure. Yep. And I'll see everyone back here tomorrow morning for Rad. Fucking A, dude. Till then. Hasta la vista. Thanks for tuning in to Freaky Flicks, everyone. You're amazing. That was another one in the bag. Um, Back to our epic best. And if you like that episode and many others like it, uh, whatever podcast platform that you are listening to this on, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Also, go that one step further. Hit the notification bell. That way, you're updated every week when a new episode surfaces, um, which they do. Every Friday from 8am, you will get a new episode of Freaky Friday. Uh, This was definitely fun. And uh, yeah, I dare say we'll um, migrate the Batman Forever and Batman Robin episodes over to our rad podcast as they're more sort of rad relevant than um, as opposed to Freaky Friday. Um, You know, we just, we went there because man, it's freaky and it's... uh, it's Tim Burton, dude. So, you know, you got to get all dark and gloomy on the old Freaky Friday, right? So, uh, next week, 
I don't know what we're going to talk about, but no doubt it's going to be freaky and it's going to be wicked, delicious, good. So be sure to drop us a line and let us know what you want to hear your favorite two uh, freaksters talk shit about. And uh, till next time, look after yourselves, stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe and all that shit. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the program. So uh, till then, stay freaky. <laughs>